This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the doctor's office. Come on in, take a seat, read a magazine. We'll be with you in a minute. Hey, today I got a great show for you. Remember, we try to give you the information you need to be able to make decisions in your life. Also help you maybe hopefully understand what's going on in the news a little bit more. Today, you know, we come from BYU uh, University, Brigham Young University. This is a huge university so we try to use some of our uh, great professors and resources here to to inform you. Have you just heard all of this talk about Greece in default, you know, they're voting? Are we going to let the EU, the Union, European Union, you know, are we going to let them tell us what to do with our debt? Well, we're going to be talking with uh, an economics professor here from Brigham Young University, and he's going to walk us through what's the big deal with Greece? Does it even matter? He's really here to help us understand all things economics, everything you could ever need to focus on when it comes to the economy. A lot of stuff we've talked about. We've talked about trade agreements, Obama's trade agreement. He's going to give us insight. What does that really mean? Does it matter? We'll talk about Greece. We'll even talk about what's going on locally when it comes down to uh, unemployment in the inner cities, why is it so hard to get a living wage? And what will minimum wage really do? Uh, and as an expert in labor uh, economics, he's going to have some incredible insight on that. So we'll be talking with uh, our BYU professor, Christian Vom Lane, uh, in just a few minutes. Also today, in hour number two, We're in this big uh, smartphones boon, right? Now everybody's getting smartphones. Do you think it gives our children an advantage? If a child grows up with a smartphone, do they have an advantage that you didn't have when you were just eating dirt and, you know, running around in your your bare feet, in your bare feet? Yeah. Remember the good old days? Kids with smartphones, do they grow up with an advantage? We'll talk about that in the second hour. Third hour, are you saving for retirement or are you banking on Social Security? We'll be talking about the impact of your own retirement and how to to maybe just pick it up a little bit. You know, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, life we are living. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but it also it doesn't have to be hard there's just basic things you might want to do, like save a little bit. About a third of the U.S. population have no savings. And I'm going to bet a, a lot of those people aren't even poor, aren't even you know in the lower ranks of, of income. Most of us just tend to live, you know, if we got it, spend it. Do you do that? We'll be talking about that on the program as well. We've got a great show for you, but again... Before we get to all of these other topics, so deep, so difficult, let's first hear about the headlines from our great friend Kathy Aiken. Kathy! Good morning, Matt. 
The gun used by an illegal immigrant killing a woman on a San Francisco pier last week was reportedly stolen from a federal agent. Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez allegedly stole the 40 caliber pistol during a car burglary. He was charged with murder yesterday. Lopez Sanchez says he found the gun wrapped inside a t-shirt on the pier and it went off accidentally. The man has been deported five times back to Mexico. A Detroit cancer doctor was in court yesterday facing some of his alleged victims. Dr. Farid Fata is accused of telling over 500 patients they had cancer when they did not. He's charged with giving fraudulent and aggressive medical treatments and billing Medicare for $34 million. One drug that's typically, typically given eight times for aggressive lymphoma was prescribed to one patient 94 times. Many of his patients testified yesterday how their lives have been ruined, including Monica Flagg. I'm very angry. I cannot believe any doctor would, would betray so many people. A former colleague blew the whistle on Dr. Fada. Prosecutors are asking for a life sentence. A 12-year-old boy was arrested last night in Minneapolis on a murder charge 400 miles away from the crime scene in Omaha, Nebraska. Jarrell Milton was wanted in connection with the shooting that occurred on June 29th. His 17-year-old brother and a 15-year-old were charged earlier this week with first-degree murder as adults and are being held without bail. A 31-year-old man and a friend arranged to meet the three boys in a park to sell their marijuana when they were hit by gunfire. Jamel Ray was killed and Charles Fisher was injured. No word on how Milton traveled so far from the scene. Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon said the Ten Commandments statue will remain on Capitol grounds. This despite a ruling by the state Supreme Court last week that it violates the state's constitution and needs to be removed. Fallon said her decision came after the state's Attorney General Scott Pruitt asked the court to reconsider its decision. Dylan Roof, the man charged with the mass shooting last month in Charleston, South Carolina, Carolina, has been indicted by a grand jury on nine murder charges, three attempted murder charges, and one count of possessing a weapon during a violent crime. The county prosecutor is still deciding whether or not to seek the death penalty in the case. The South Carolina State Senate made it official yesterday, voting 36 to 3 to remove the Confederate flag from the Capitol. The bill now moves to the House, where it needs a two-thirds majority vote before Governor Nikki Haley can sign it into law. The fallout from Donald Trump's controversial immigration remarks now includes the PGA. The 2015 Grand Slam of Golf was scheduled for Trump National Golf Course in Los Angeles coming up in October, but it will now be moved to another location. And Matt, here's a story of how those, you know, those annoying phone calls we get at home every day can pay off. Oh, really? Here we go. A Texas woman has been awarded nearly $230,000 in damages because of numerous robocalls from her cable company. Wow. Arcelli King accused Time Warner Cable of harassing her they would leave messages for a man who previously lived in her home and owned the company money. Owed the company oh, money, man. excuse me. Despite explaining to them that the man no longer lived there, the calls kept coming. So a judge ruled yesterday they must pay King $1,500 for each automated call. Oh, I like Times this. Times that by, ready, 153 phone calls, $229,000. That's uh, huge. Is that crazy? Well, now what's cool about that, there's a precedent. So now... You can just say, okay, you remember that lady that kept getting bugged by this? I want that I want same that deal. I want that deal. We we got that once. We got a call for somebody at our house, and we kept saying they don't live here, and it was for a bill. Yeah. And they just would not believe us, that there's no such person that lived at that address. They obviously used our address. Yeah. They just would not believe us. But, so. you know, it's weird because do you have a home phone? We do. But you know what? When it rings, we always know. I don't know why we have it, to Telemark- be honest with you. It's, a, it's, yeah, it's telemarketing. We call it the telemarketer hotline. Yeah, exactly. Do you still have a home We line? don't. But we actually made a mistake because we turned ours off 
And yet we kind of regret that because our young children don't have a contact phone. Mm. So now we had to go buy them a phone. Oh, there you go. And they're love, they love that and idea. And that will come up in your topic about uh-huh. talking. Is it a smartphone? Because well, there's very few. Yeah, it's an old smartphone. Kind of, okay. So it's kind of a dumb phone. We went to get our our youngest son. We, when he got his first phone, we're like, we're not paying for a smartphone. No. And we got a little flip phone. But I yeah. think, I can't remember the company it was, but they had maybe one. Everything else. I mean, that's how oh, they get you. Well, I know. It's the flip phone is the- like... Are you 80 and over? Because if you're 80 and over, you'll want the flip phone. Yeah, I tried to get my mom that. What was that called? I can't remember the name of the phone. But it was for elderly, you know, mm-hmm. bigger numbers yeah, and yeah. things like that. Yeah, that's what we needed. But, you know, they get you with a smartphone so you can pay for the data. So See, ours was just we didn't others. do the data plan. It's 10 bucks. You can't you, – you have to have Wi-Fi to use it mm-hmm. in most places. But um, That's a good plan. But we made a mistake. <clears throat> it's a mistake because now my son is getting addicted to a phone and he's 10 and we're like – no. You know, that is definitely an issue. You, you know they what? do. They get addicted. If there's a problem, a... run to the neighbor. Yeah. Just ask the neighbor to use their phone. But... We didn't. I think I think our rule was middle school, and mainly it was for, you know, emergencies if mm-hmm. they needed us or something. But, but what's going to happen the day that your telemarketers get your cell phone? Mm-hmm. See, no telemarketer. I, have, I don't ever give my cell phone out. Oh, never. And so mine's clean as a whistle. Nobody ever bugs me on that phone. But... You know what? Have you noticed, by the way, a lot of the polling in the media is kind of inaccurate. A lot of the polls don't – they're not accurate for what a lot of people are actually feeling. Mm -hmm. And part of that I think is because they don't have anyone to call anymore. They don't have the numbers they used to have. Good point. So they can't – so well, I wonder – with caller ID, I'm looking at oh, yeah. that going, I'm not answering that. I'm not answering that. that. Yeah. You can tell it's a sales call. Yeah. No way. I wonder what the sales people are going to do. They're just going to probably start knocking more doors. That would be worse. That would be so bad. You just look through the people and go, yep, not open that one. It drives me crazy. I I once came home. My wife was talking to a a door-to-door salesperson. I kind of heard it, and I'm like, I'm out of here. Came back an hour later. She was still talking to him. (laughs) And I'm like, hon, let's just just think this over. Let's just have him. Why don't you leave, and we'll just think this over. Okay, yeah. And then I left. Came back an hour later. She's still talking to him. Oh, my word. She's way too nice. Came back four hours later. He was at dinner. (laughs) She was making up a bed for him. I mean, it was like, are you going to live here, dude? But uh, he, was good, he was good that. And he, so in the summer right now, you, they're all out there. They're all out there. They're all out there knocking yeah. the doors. That's it's interesting. Pesticides uh-huh. and, and uh, what was it? Alarm now, systems. Alarm systems, solar. Mm-hmm. You got to get to the solar right, panels on right. your, your roof now. And um, you name it. Now, they can go door to door with anything now. Right. used to just be a vacuum and knives. You know, and I admire those people that can do oh. that. That would be a tough job. Oh, totally. Such a tough job, especially when yeah. it's probably 100% commission. Oh, I know. And and you're out in the hot sun and mm-hmm. people are like, get, get out, out of here. Of here. Yeah. Did you not hear about that lawsuit where that lady won $200,000? <laughs> I'm going to sue you and your company. Cool stuff. Good job, Kathy. Uh, there's the headlines. That's a piece of cake. Uh, that's an easy way. You don't need to worry about retirement then, right? If you just just wait for the telemarketers to call you and then, you know, file a lawsuit, win 250 grand, bada boom, bada bing, you're in that city. We're going to take a break and come back and talk with our uh, favorite BYU economist who's going to be joining us. Uh, Christian Vom Lane will be joining us, and he's going to walk us through all things in the economy. From Greece, does it matter? To trade deals, helping you understand a little bit what's really going on when they throw out all this news. Does any of it really matter to us? We'll find out. Up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. If I had a million 
Well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, buy you furniture for your house. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, if you had a million dollars, you probably ought to go bail out Greece. <laughs> Start there. $250 billion is what I think Greece needs. Hey, joining us in the studio today is Christian Vom Lane. He is uh, he's our favorite economist. He really is. And that, you know, that's saying a lot because we have a lot of uh, economist friends. Uh, Christian has his, received his Ph.D. in economics from Princeton University. Um, also, by the way, total overachiever. Has a bachelor's in uh, B.S. in mathematics and a B.S. in economics. What is your deal? <laughs> this is everything I don't know how to do, Christian. <laughs> Math, economics. But you got your master's, your PhD from Princeton. He's fluent in Chinese uh, Mandarin? Uh, yes, I'd say proficient. Fluent is maybe. Yeah, that's true. You can't be fluent. Yeah, that's but, hard. But, but yes, yes, proficient. He's proficient. He can, he can order a taco <laughs> in Taiwan, which Taiwan is super known for their tacos. Um, but today we've asked him to come in. He's a professor here at Brigham Young University, and uh, his interests are macroeconomics and labor economics. And we wanted him to come in and help us with a few of the, the big stories that are going on in the news and just teach us, okay? Because you're, you're a professor. You, this ought to be easy for you. What is the deal with Greece? Okay, we, all we keep hearing is they're majorly indebted. Right yep. to to yep. to they have major debt two hundred and fifty billion is what I was hearing mm-hmm. eleven million people on their island. Yeah, so so Greece uh, has has a lot of debt. We Ton all know that, uh, and that came from decades of spending more than they were bringing in in terms of tax revenue. So so I mean this is it's not kind of they magically overnight you know, yeah. they went out and had a spending spree. Uh, <laughs> it was for a long period of time they were building it up. On top of that, it turned out uh, in hindsight we learned that they were borrowing some of that debt somewhat secretly. Uh, oh, so they it was were. kind of you know a new government would come into power and say oh. Uh-huh. I guess we owe more than we thought, yeah. <laughs> and the numbers would be revised. And that eventually reached ahead when we hit this financial crisis because they had so much debt, but then they were able to stay on top of it until the economy tanked. tanked. And then all of a sudden it became, you know, we have more debt than we've been letting on, right. and we don't know if we can pay it back. Well, and they became a member of the EU, right? So, right yep. the, so now they're a member of the European Union. The European Union is kind of working with them with their debt. Yeah. So, so they've been in the EU since, uh, you know, the very early yeah. stages of the EU. And that actually made it easier for them to borrow money. Yeah, because uh, they could borrow on mom very, and dad's credit. <laughs> basically, yes, yeah, so low interest rates. Uh, and so, so yeah, so they reached this point where they were in real trouble in the financial crisis. And they basically said, we, we can't pay back our debts. Um, all of the private uh, lenders say, you know, we're not going to loan you we're money, not going near at, you. at least at any kind of reasonable interest rate. And so they had to be bailed out. And so a combination of the International Monetary Fund and the European Central Bank and then ahead, a bunch of the European governments combined to put together money, a lot of it from Germany, yeah. uh, to 
basically pay off their creditors. That didn't help out Greece aside from right. just saying we're paying off your creditors so they're off your backs and now you owe us but on better terms yeah, than Yeah, and before. we're going to help you set the rules. So you got to exactly. you got to start managing your benefits, your austerity yep. stuff. Yeah, so so that was the whole deal. It's like we'll bail you out if you make reforms. All we we're going to lay out a list of okay, you have to be better about collecting taxes. Greece has a history of evading taxes. So you have to be better <laughs> about that. You have to raise some taxes. You have yeah. to cut some spending. You have to get your budgets in order if we're going to give you this money so we have any belief that we'll actually get paid back. Uh, and those were painful for Greece at the bottom right. of uh, you know, a recession to have all these extra stringent requirements on what they could spend and what they can borrow. Uh, and that led to a lot of uh, discontent. Mm-hmm. And as a result, just maybe as Greece was starting to turn things around in 2014, that political discontent finally reared itself in, you know, in the polls and the elections. Yeah. And the Syriza party uh, yeah. became the leading party with Alexis Tsipras as their prime minister. And they took a much more aggressive tone of wanting to renegotiate all these deals. Yeah, we want better deals. We want better deals. This is too hard on us. This is unfair. Well, it just seems like... When you're upside down, you don't have the right the, – maybe not the right, but wh- why do you get to renegotiate anything? You owe everything. Yeah. I mean I, th- I, think, I think Greece's position stems from this idea that, we th- that they want to argue that the original terms were, were not only unfair, but they were economically unsound. Okay. And, and they want to argue, say, you told us to do all these things to fix our economy and our economy's not it, gotten better. It didn't better. get better. So we it, did what you said what and you you're said, just driving us into a hole. And you're just driving us into a hole. Hmm. And even the, the International Monetary Fund who laid out a lot of these rules looks back on their analysis and says, analysis and says that was deeply flawed. Interesting. And so now there's this big debate of, okay. you know, should we help governments in the bottom of these crises by giving them more money to spend and borrow or should right. we make them cut their budgets and be really strict, which is the right way to help them grow in right. the short run. Long run, you've got to cut your budgets, but short run, should you enforce that now? And that's what Greece is saying. We think you made a mistake. It's driving our economy into the hole. And they voted on it. And, and, and so, they, so ultimately, and this was a bit ironic, they held a vote after the deadline for the debt payment. Okay. So it's not like they, the deal was even yeah. on the table right, anymore. Right. They held a vote. The people, over 60%, say, we don't want to deal with these same terms as before. We want a renegotiation. And now they've turned back. And they're, they've been a little bit less aggressive in the last yeah. couple of days, but they're saying the people have spoken. If we're going to do a deal, it's got to be on better terms for us. Interesting. I mean, it really is. Then the whole big thing about um, so why don't you just forgive? Forgive our debts. Forgive a lot of these debts. So the Greeks are telling the Germans to forgive the debt. Yeah. And they're basically playing the Nazi card because after World War II, yeah. Germany had a lot of their debts forgiven. forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and you, even some prominent economists have gone out and, and called Germany hypocrites over the issue because, you know, yeah. look, how can you be the paragons of fiscal yeah. integrity when you had all of your – See, all of your okay. debt forgiven? So does this have any parallel? Because then we start hearing this. All this is is California. <laughs> right. So Gr- California is Greece. Right. Or uh, Detroit. Or some of these cities, we, somebody throws that out that California is the new Greece or whatever. Yeah, so it's different, right? So actually, we have a very similar situation to Greece in the United States right now, and that's Puerto Rico. Okay. Puerto Rico is in massive debt and really struggling. But there's a big difference, is that the banks in Puerto Rico 
aren't reliant on Puerto Rican debt to function. Okay. And the Puerto Rican banking system will not collapse if the if the government doesn't pay back. Which its you're debt. seeing in Greece because they can't even they won't even let you get your money out. They're yeah. restricting Because your... because Greece is on the Euro and they don't control the Euro. So hmm. to have Euros they need to have people depositing their money. They need to have people lending the banks money to operate and and private investors uh, working with the banks. For a long time the banks haven't had that and they've just been relying on you know, emergency assistance okay. from the central bank in Europe. Yeah. Uh, but when they started pulling that back out after they didn't make their payment out of the end of June, all of a sudden the banks are running out of money and Greece says, OK, caps on what you can take out that a day. That is a scary day, a day, though, I mean, isn't it? The minute you're capping what you can withdraw from the bank, it's, it thinks like that seems like where it's, everyone's going to start jumping. Yeah, certainly people I – mean, and you, know, you cap it because you know people are about to That's jump. Right. It's a game That's of right. like you have to cap yeah. it before they pull all of their money right. out and collapse your bank. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so that I mean, that's the issue. Right, that Greece is in very dire straits, and, and they so, may bail on the EU, or the EU may kick them out. I mean, it could get that ugly. Yeah, I mean, basically, we're looking at two resolutions. Either you know, we, they get better terms, and the EU is saying you still got to give us credible plans for how you're going to fix Show, your yeah, economy. Tell us what. You, yeah, you can't keep riding on this. So. Yeah, and, and that was that was some contention this morning. Of they came, uh, it turns out last night they came in this morning. Uh, with very little concrete details about how they're going to fix the economy. Is it that they don't know or they don't they – don't, what is it? I mean why aren't they just I mean, owning this and building a plan? Uh, I mean I, I, think, I think there's two problems here, right? I mean they want to look like they're very strict and focused for the EU to yeah. convince them to get a good deal. But their people back home – are looking for a lot more freedom and less strict regulation. Like, get and, off our backs. And, and so they're kind of trying to play this balancing game yeah. of, you know, appeasing our creditors but keeping the people happy back home because they got us into power in the first uh-huh. place. You yeah. kind of have this this delicate yeah. uh, balancing game going on. And and so, yeah, so either the EU says we give you better terms and make it possible for you to stick around or we say, nope, this is what it is. Greece says that's it. We default. We're not paying back our debts, and uh, and they probably would have to leave the euro to do that at some point. I mean, they wouldn't. They, I mean, they're still going to have to take yeah. a lot of payments in euro to keep a tourist <laughs> industry going. But uh, but they probably would have to. It's fascinating. Some it reminds me just of you know this is the one brother in your family that is just the one that's struggling, can't seem to get out. Mom and dad want a plan. He won't give the plan. They're not giving any more money. Stop. Well, you know, if you liken this to that kind of a family situation, too, it's the question of should the EU have done something earlier? Yeah. They let it get really, really bad, mm-hmm. and now it's all horrible. But should they have said in you know 2010, instead of bailing you out, we're just going to let you default? Well, and maybe, exactly. And there's another problem, too, of, I mean, maybe outlining too strictly what, you're, what they have to do. So if, if I create what you have to do, then you're not owning it. And when it doesn't work – so if I mandate exactly – like I guess, yeah. I guess like the banks did, the the the, the international banks said exactly how what they had to do, and it didn't turn out to work. Yeah, and 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 of course, there's a bit of a debate. Some argue that in 2014 there were signs that maybe things were turning around. Um, maybe it would have worked if we didn't radically change the government. Uh, and, you know, so if we, but yeah. who knows? I mean, it's oh, tough yeah. to say. This, tough. That's why these variables are so crazy, right? Because yeah. this isn't this is multiple issues, super complex system. Again, we're talking with Christian Vom Lane. We're going to take a break. Uh, he's all things economics. He's our economics guru teaching us, uh, you know, basic economics. A BYU professor, for heaven's sakes. Princeton trained. We're so lucky to have him. By the way, two bachelor's degrees, math and economics. 
freak show. Amazing. Christian Von Lane. We'll have more when we come back. We'll be talking about unemployment rates, Obama's trade agreement. We've heard all about that. And he's bending over backwards with the Republicans, which has never happened. So something must be fishy here. We'll be back. More right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU, BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, in the house with us today, Christian Vom Lane is joining us. He's a professor uh, here at Brigham Young University of Economics, and uh, his specialty is macroeconomics and labor economics, which, you know, many would wonder why. Why, of all things, would you go study that? It's because he's got the brain to do it. If you've got the brain to understand macro and labor economics, by golly, you may as well use it. Uh, but Christian, thanks for being here, Thank and, you. and help. Thanks for making sense as much as you can of Greece. That's a it's chaos. It, it is a mess right now. But it's it is it's it's very interesting because it's about relationships and it's about a union trying to stay a union, and yet you know then you've got a couple players that are struggling and not getting along, and a lot of name calling, and you can't just kick the kid out of the family because if I kick the kid out. I tell I show all my kids how rough I am. If I keep them in and don't make him pay, then I tell everyone else how easy I am to push over. There's a lot of precedents that get set with how you treat that one kid. And, parenting and... 101. <laughs> so you don't even need a degree in economics. <laughs> get a degree in parenting. There you go. But then you have this argument is is Germany really our parent? That's true. <laughs> really, That's the problem. Why should I listen to you? And is Germany that? really the strongest euro member, a European member? Germany economically is very sound right now. They're they're in a really strong position, um, but I mean this is the challenge of when you have one currency for many many different mm-hmm. countries. Is Germany wants to do one thing with the currency because of their relative strength, and Greece wants to do something else yeah. because they're weak. And and you have this tension. You don't. I mean you don't have ten twenty different currencies to play around with. You yeah. can do their own thing. You all have to. Well, plus they're all culturally. Agree. They all have their own culture. They all have their own history. Yeah. And a lot of the histories don't jive. And the formation of the EU was this kind of, we want to take a vision of we're going to break from these past disagreements. We're going to be a unified European state, maybe one day be the United States of Europe. And so there's more here at stake than just economics. There's this real political and cultural identity of a modern Europe that's unified, Hmm. that feels at stake here. Uh, Not to mention the, the ramifications of Greece, you know, really takes it hard from countries like Germany and France. They've perhaps irresponsibly joked about uh, teaming up with Russia or forming alliances. You start to form these geopolitical debates and, you know, there's tensions. Could there be hostility? I mean, like, this is a lot is riding on what goes on here, and it's a lot more than just the economics. So that's pretty severe itself. Tough stuff. Bring it back to the U.S., but still internationally. uh, President Obama has been putting together the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which already exists, I guess, he was he was going to add to the this trade agreement, right? The TPP. So so the TPP started just a few small countries. Uh, I think Brunei and uh, who else? Chile, Singapore, yeah, tiny New little countries. And but then you know as as other countries began to see that this was you know they were forming some agreements that could be beneficial to many. So again, they started in two thousand eight with these small countries. 
2012 comes around, and now it's, you know, I guess you get more countries saying yeah. you want to be part like of this. Like 15 or involved. so more countries want in. add in the U.S., Australia, Canada, Japan, Mexico, yeah. uh, Vietnam. You, you get some more countries involved, and starting, you're starting to get this big trade agreement yeah. and, and potential. And the negotiations have been going on for years, uh, and they're trying again. And and that's been President Obama. One of his main agenda items has been to really solidify our international position, especially in Asia, and a deal with a number of Asian countries: Vietnam, Japan, uh, Singapore. This okay. would be a great strength to us in it, that eastern region. And it would shore up against China's power because you know they're pushing their influence. So, so yeah, certainly President Obama has frequently spoken about this pivot towards Asia. Yeah. And and this would be a big part of that. And and one of the big parts of this trade agreement is there's – I mean it's about trade, but it's about a lot of other things too. It's about labor regulations, labor standards, environmental standards. Hmm. And the United States would love to, to push what they believe to be some more modern standards in how you treat your workers and how you manage your environment on these other countries in that region to try and put some pressure on China to say these are the standards that most of the world is playing by. Yeah. You know, and of all the things that he's that President Obama has done, this seems to be like one of the first things that he's really ever got support from the Republicans on. Because this is business, right? This is trade. This is this is a lot of this is good for business. Republican side has always been always is maybe is yeah. usually on in favor of free trade agreements. Uh, they argue that these are good for businesses. They increase the competitiveness of the goods and services we export. Uh, yeah, there are some costs at home, but the general belief, at least on the Republican side, is those costs are greatly outweighed by the benefits to all those cheaper imports, yeah. more competitive exports. Uh, and so the Republicans are really in favor of this. Um, the Democrats have been far less welcoming, uh, naturally, because unions don't like this. Manufacturing workers could stand to suffer yeah. from this. So this you know, gets into your labor expertise. I mean, the unions do probably hate this because it might facilitate, you know, supposedly jobs being exported, yeah. better deals made between countries. Yeah, you, you certainly worry from the labor economic side of, you know, who's going to lose their job because of a trade deal. Yeah. You know, if someone can sell their imports cheaper at home, who's that putting out of work? Uh, the interesting thing, actually, there's a number of economists, uh, some leading economists who study trade and labor markets on this, and they've come out in support of the of the agreement, even though much of their research has showed how bad trade can be for the really? American manufacturer yeah. worker. And their argument is that, look, these jobs are going away anyway. Oh, we're losing I mean, them anyway. Yeah, since China's come in. Is this just manufacturing? Is this really the main push of all of this is where we manufacture our goods. Uh, I mean, that's certainly the headline issue. There's more than just manufacturing going on, but certainly that's the prominent. Yeah. But but our manufacturing sector in the U.S. has been on decline for decades and decades. I mean, over 50 years, it's been going down. And so it's not like if we don't get into this trade agreement, it will magically resurrect. Right, yeah. We're not bringing manufacturing back at three times the cost or whatever. Exactly. And it's generally true that these trade agreements get very heavily debated and they boast of their benefits and those who hate or fear them, you know, warn of their costs. But these generally tend to be overstated in hindsight. They're not as influential as Mm -hmm. maybe we think they are. And so many have said, look, there's great value in this economically overall, we think. There may be some costs, but the political gain of gaining influence in, you know, the Asian region – is, is an opportunity we shouldn't pass up. Yeah. And, and that's been the main thrust of the Obama administration say, look, even if you don't like what we're doing, you can't argue with the fact that if we don't do it, 
what's to say China doesn't do it? Right. And then ever the world is playing by China's rules. Do we want to play by our rules or China's rules? This is our chance to set the standard. Does a deal like this case, okay, so you know, Obama or uh, Trump is now, you know, loud and proud. He's in the game now. He's making a lot of noise. But what he keeps taking on is Mexico is just taking us to town. They're beating the crud out of us. Uh, China is out negotiating us in everything and, and making it impossible for us to succeed. Does a trade agreement like this do anything with that complaint that we're getting just we're getting sucker punched in our trade deals? Um, I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't read too strongly into the economics of Mr. Trump's <laughs> statements. So hold on. But uh, he's a billionaire and he's, he's worth uh, millions and billions. He certainly has accomplished a lot of things. And I haven't studied his statements enough to completely <laughs> uh, vet them. But I mean, I think there's this question of I mean, at the end of the day. This trade agreement will have influence, but it's not clear it will have a, a huge influence. It's it's likely the gains are more symbolic. Yeah, it's uh, something. It's a win it's, it's, somewhere. It's, it's yeah. a win somewhere. It's you know we get better trade terms with these countries instead of China getting better trade terms with these countries. Yeah. So so the gain is on our side. How big it is? Is this yeah. you know the windfall that changes everything? Probably not. But it's a move in the right direction to assert ourselves and and have a strong economic presence in the Asian region to you know potentially. Uh, withstand some increasing China yeah. expansionism. Did just I don't know if you're prepared for this question, just because I'm throwing you a curveball. Is Mexico handing us our hat? I mean, why why would Trump be spewing all of this about how Mexico is really our biggest competitor? So, so there, there's two things going on here. Uh, one is the immigration uh, question, yeah. uh, and and certainly uh, Mr. Trump has made some somewhat inflammatory remarks yeah. about immigration recently. Uh, there, there's a question about the effect of Mexican immigration on the U.S. in terms of economics. A lot of this also stems from a trade agreement we made in North America back in the 1990s NAFTA, called NAFTA, yeah. yeah, the North American Free Trade Agreement. And there's a lot of debate and spinning about what that agreement has really done. Uh, I think you'd find most economists would say the effects haven't been that huge. Uh, there may have been some, and they're probably a gain, maybe more to the corporate side of things mm-hmm. than the individual workers. Uh, but as a whole, America has probably benefited from that. This probably has been a good thing, but maybe not as dramatic. Although it doesn't, because the jury is still a little bit out, it's hard to tell what the real effect right. of that was. You can get both sides spinning this as like, oh, because we did this, all of a sudden Mexico is handing us our hat. I mean, right. it's, it's just hard to say. I mean, and and... and and I think that uncertainty leaves room for a lot of broad statements. Well, I guess, too, it just shows that it's, still, it's just a trade agreement. So yeah. it has a, it's symbolic. It was a big deal back when Clinton, I think, was the one that passed yeah. it. Yet, you know, I, it, it, it's still up for debate. And, and, and the U.S. is already pretty open in terms of its trade. It's right. not like we're closed right. and we're trading with anybody. Yeah. And suddenly we said we'll trade with everybody. Now we'll trade, right. It's, it says we're already trading with you. Let's reduce some of the costs of that trade. Hey, talk to me about as an economist, but also kind of as, as a labor expert. So we, we hear a lot about immigration, illegal immigration. All of the, the these immigrants are coming into our country. They're stealing our jobs. Mm. Others are arguing they're actually taking jobs that nobody would do anyway. Yeah. So where are we with that? And what's really going on when you think about the unemployment rates, big cities, and this new minimum wage uh, legislation that is being proposed? What really matters? Is immigration coming in? Are they coming in stealing jobs? What's the real argument? Um, I think certainly we can tell ourselves a story for why they might be, quote, stealing jobs. But it's a complicated issue. I mean, 
when you have immigrants coming in, they're also buying things too. Yeah, they're they're, they're creating, creating jobs, an economy. Buy, <laughs> That's right. So, so it's it's not clear uh, now. So so I I think if you were to look at the research that's been done here, you have a hard time finding a smoking gun that says, wow, immigration has just been tanking the economy. That's just really hard. Again, a lot of the immigration we hear spoken about is immigrants who have less formal training, less educational attainment. And the U.S. is a pretty educated place these days. A lot of our jobs are higher skill jobs. So – so they're not jobs, stealing those jobs. And, and they might even be helping those jobs, yeah. right? I mean – and so so there's a real question of who's the loser here. And, and there probably are some people who might be displaced. But I think it's it's much less than is, is feared Claimed, in, yeah. in, the open, in the open press. Uh, I mean – but you, know, you mentioned there's a whole lot of labor things going on here that we could think about. And certainly there's debates about minimum wage and immigration and you know, different – um, labor policies. There's just so much that goes on. It's really hard to know what the effect of any one mm-hmm. policy or action is. I think at at this point, what we found is that small raises in minimum wage do not reduce employment that much. Yeah, uh, there is some debate about that, but no one's yet to prove that this is a massively horrible thing. Small raises. Small rate. Yeah. Small. We don't necessarily but know like, about get, doubling, but, tripling. It, yeah, but, but like moving it up to fifteen dollars an hour, what effect would that have? Uh, we we have not yet seen yeah. a strong because that's uh, a big lift, right? Yeah, and, and people are right now studying the small cases where that's been done the last few years. But that's not got a strong precedent. So we don't really know right. how things change when you double it as opposed yeah. to increase it a dollar yeah. or a bit too. So so that that is an open issue that we're still trying to figure out. Uh, the minimum wage is, you know, is not the most effective tool for reducing poverty because it's very blunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean if, if we want to talk about poverty and really helping people at the lower end of the spectrum, these become much more complex issues than simply just right. you know, raise the floor on yeah. what we pay people. This is education. This is uh, getting dealing with inner city issues, with uh, black, white, minority issues. I mean, yeah. stuff that's been going on, oppression in some regards, for I mean, years. If, if you look at, I mean, we've talked in the past about how unemployment in the U.S. got really bad in the Great Recession. But it's always been true that the unemployment rate for whites has been, you know, a lot lower than unemployment has it? rate and pretty for African Americans and pretty so, stable. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they both fluctuate quite yeah. a bit. But I think here I have a number here. Yeah, so so currently for whites, the unemployment rate is about four point nine percent. Wow. For African Americans, it's ten percent. Hmm. And and that gap has existed. Yeah. You know, in good times and bad times. Well, but but you know what, though, Christian, if we would just pay him more. But that, so that's I mean, the point. I mean, minimum wage is not going to fix that's, that's that gap. That's one tool, but that's, it's a very right. blunt and unfocused instrument. Right. Well, uh, plus if we – and we talked about this the other day. If you're in if, – if, because the majority of uh, – unemplo- the, the majority of the poor are working is what a recent study we saw. The, the majority of – the poor are actually – or those living below the poverty line are working at least part-time. But they can't necessarily work full-time because daycare and kids and they can't make it. So that's another issue that would have to be dealt with eventually, right, economically. These are deeply rooted issues. I mean if, especially if we want to talk about 
kind of racial gaps in unemployment. Certainly there's lingering concerns about discrimination, but some of that's not overt, yeah. but it's implicit, right? I mean, like, what neighborhood do you grow that's up right. in? That's right. So there's some researchers... Is there transit to your job? Exactly. So some researchers in Harvard have been recently putting forth, you know, some really interesting new results saying, look, the neighborhood you grow up in matters a whole lot. And if we could just move people out of these neighborhoods, yeah. that has a huge impact on oh, the children's sure. future And just success. educational opportunities and... Yeah, the and, pressures and that are on these inner city and, schools, and yeah, I mean, you have these issues of you have neighborhoods which have you know very low uh, economic status, very far from jobs, commuting times are long, uh, you know the crime rates are high. There's just a lot about what neighborhood you're in, yeah. and there's a lot of talk about okay. How do we improve these neighborhoods? One answer is just to get people out of them, but yeah. you can't get everyone out of. Well, them. that's I mean, Detroit, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, everyone's leaving, but but then. It's not. It's even more complex than just everyone moving or changing, isn't it? Then sure. it's education. I mean, there's a lot of questions about education. There's a lot of questions about family structure. If you have a lot of single parents without support in the home, trying to raise yeah. multiple kids, I mean, that's just a hard thing. No matter who you are, that's right. And Do you no need two incomes? I mean, that's two incomes to raise the home, or can one income raise the in, the family? I mean, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's complex, hard. isn't it? Yeah, that's and, why you need a Princeton economist. Well. <laughs> You need a lot of economists and a lot of people working hard across disciplines. But But overall, I mean, again, it's – so when we sit there and we hear all of the politicians kind of spewing their stuff, is it – I guess we just need to be careful because nothing is as simple as as any political answer. I mean I think the answer is in economics, uh, there's a lot we're still learning and there's a lot of opinions. And so it's important to hear a variety of opinions and look at the, you know, think hard about the issues and then reach your own conclusion and not just rely on one person's uh, posturing or or statements. Generally, you hear some pretty uh, (laughs) wild statements sometimes over the microphone and you just want to be measured and careful and weighing all the evidence. Does that drive you crazy? Uh, I, I think I think would like to see a little bit more uh, self-restraint and yeah. rigor and discussion, certainly economics. Uh, but, you know, persuasion is also a separate game, right? Yeah. You, know, you want to convince people to your position, and so that's why people say these things. That's right. If you just get up there and quote numbers, get called a boring, dry old economist, and no one cares. <laughs> that's why they need to hire Christian Baumling. Well, Christian, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thank you. Again, uh, he's a BYU professor, Christian Vom Lane, and, uh, you know— the man, the myth, the legend. We, we love him. He is a man, and you are a myth. We'll take a break, uh, come back, do a quick little recap. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side. I'm here for you, folks. I'm here to give you a hand. Doing what we can on this show to give you a leg up on this crazy thing called life. Sometimes it's just hard to get ahead. You don't necessarily know what what's good for you, what's not. For example, today, great subject. Uh, we'll be covering uh, smartphones. You know, everyone's getting one. All the cool people have one, my kids tell me. Are they actually giving your kids a head start in life? 
by having a, a cell phone at a at a you know young age, will your child be the next brilliant you know web developer, the next brilliant scientist? Will our children find the cure for cancer because they played the game called mitosis? I highly doubt it. We'll be finding out. Uh, Baroness Susan Greenfield, who's a who's a professor, a British scientist, a writer, she'll be joining us to talk about uh, if smartphones give us a real head start in life. I have a feeling they don't. Because here's my problem. I love my phone. And I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to get mad, but I'm mad. But I'm not going to be mad, but I'm ticked. So this one company, I'm not going to name names cuz I don't want to, you know, disparage. But there's a company that rhymes with the word blapple. Blapple Bloom Bloopers. And um, they make a cell phone. <laughs> they make a cell phone. And on this cell phone, they have a, a product called iTunes. It was my favorite thing ever. A lot of people don't like it because it's confusing, doesn't always sync right. iTunes, I learned to love it. Loved it. Had it on my phone. Somehow, you know, iTunes changed their tune. And now they're bringing a whole different game. And honestly, no me gusta. If I'm going to go speak Spanish on you, I don't like it. It messed up all of my songs. It messed up everything. I had everything set. I had, I could listen to the Motab whenever I wanted. I could listen to, I had everything perfect on my phone. And now it's just totally messed up. And it's, I'm sure it's my fault because I'm ignorant and I don't quite know where everything went. But you know what? It, it now makes me mad because I can see what they want me to do. They want me to just pay a subscription and they'll give me music. They're trying to Spotify me. And I don't want to be Spotified. Let me be old school. Let me buy my music one song at a time. Get off my back. But don't be changing my iTunes. So now I'm mad and I don't know what to do. Because I either A, have to go learn to use it, or I'm, I might just go to Spotify. If I'm going to pay 10 bucks, it's not going to be to iTunes now because they made me mad. You done ticked me off. So um, what am I supposed to do? So I asked my kids. And they're like, oh, Dad, you don't pay for music. Ah, oh, jeez. I don't want to know what you're doing. <laughs> but they have all these weird secrets. Yeah, Dad, you don't need to pay for it. Well, okay. Well, morally, I think I do. Yeah, well, you need to work on that, Dad. So I'm confused. So as we sit here and ask the question, do smartphones give my kids a head start? Not sure. I don't think they do. It is a head start in the criminal world because my kids can break, jailbreak iPhones. They can do amazing things. They'll come in and say, did you see this? I'm like, where did you get that? Don't ask, Dad. You don't want to know. That scares me. We'll be talking about it today. And uh, again, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I don't want anybody to think, you know, Apple's bad. They're not. They're just trying to make a buck. But uh, they messed up my phone. So if somebody from Apple wants to come fix my phone, I'd appreciate it. Uh, But before we go and talk more about this smartphone thing, let's go to the smartest cat on the earth, Kathy Aiken, who's going to bring us the headlines. 
Good morning, Matt. Law enforcement officials say the gun used last week in a shooting of a woman on a San Francisco pier was stolen from a federal agent. Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez apparently stole the 40 caliber pistol during a car robbery. He was charged with murder yesterday. California State Senator Jeff Stone talks about a new bill on the city's sanctuary law. When you have someone that is an illegal immigrant that has felonies, that you are going to be required by law to hold them for 48 hours and alert the federal government, namely ICE, that you you have custody of this individual. In her first press interview yesterday, Hillary Clinton said San Francisco made a mistake by releasing the man from jail and condemned the sanctuary city's policy. The U.S. Army plans to cut more than 40,000 troops in the next two years. It was also announced that 17,000 Army civilians will be laid off. General Martin Dempsey said dwindling resources was a major factor in the decision. A Detroit cancer doctor who allegedly told hundreds of patients they had cancer when they didn't is awaiting his fate. Dr. Fareed Fata was arrested for health care fraud two years ago and is accused of giving unnecessary cancer treatments to 553 patients. Claims estimate the doctor billed up to $35 million to Medicare. His sentencing hearing continues as prosecutors are seeking a 175-year sentence. Search crews have found the body of a missing baby boy in the Connecticut River. The seven-month-old had been missing since Sunday night when his father jumped off a bridge and into the river with him. Tony Moreno was rescued and remains in the hospital. His son's Aiden's body was found several miles downstream. Moreno is expected to be charged soon. Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon said the Ten Commandments statue will remain on Capitol grounds. This despite a ruling by the state Supreme Court last week that it violates the state's constitution and should be removed. Fallon said her decision came after the state's Attorney General Scott Pruitt asked the court to reconsider its decision. The debate on the Confederate flag flying at the South Carolina State Capitol has moved to the House. The state Senate voted 36-3 for its removal yesterday, and if the House passes the measure by a two-thirds majority, it will go to the desk of Governor Nikki Haley for her to sign it into law. And Matt, it was day two of the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain, <laughs> and the injury report, yes. it's in. It's in. What's in? What, what One are we person out? was gored in the leg and mm. back, and two people suffered other injuries. In yesterday's first run, two Americans and a Briton were gored and mm. eight others injured. Mike Webster from Florida, who was gored in the armpit, Oy. is still hospitalized. The pit gore. You know, an, a gored armpit does not sound fun that does no i remember when i had my first armpit (laughs) goring that is that sounds like a light day though i mean yeah that that does seem kind of light for two days um that's not too bad no deaths (laughs) have been have been reported which is very good uh any plantar fasciitis reported have not heard of that yet no maybe gourd in the plant you need that's what we need to do we need to get your plantar gourd (laughs) and have it rupture you know what i'm pretty sure i've had my plantar gourd (laughs) I've done everything. That uh, you know what is funny is the running. I bet a lot of those other injuries are just like panic attacks, heart attacks. You know, heart pulled attacks, hamstrings. Pulled muscles. Yeah, I pulled sure. my hammy. Isn't that interesting? That'd be, that, that'd be good though. If pulled my hammy, what was your excuse? Yeah, I was running with the bulls. I was running you know, with the bulls. It's much better than not. Actually, I was, running I was up trying the stairs. to. I was walking to the running of the bulls. <laughs> And I slipped on those darn bricks. <laughs> those bricks. Yeah. Those bricks are slippery. I, it's funny. I Do you have any desire to do something like that? Never. I mean, I, I guess... I'm an animal lover. So to see yeah. what they do to those bulls in there, I, I don't like that. Well, what about being a people lover and to see what those bulls well, those, do to those people? They're dumb. I mean, those people, <laughs> they deserve it if they're going to go out there and do that. They know that oh, ahead of time. Come on. That's crazy. Do women run? 
Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, I've seen women run. Do they have different? Like, do they have the man run? The men run and the women run is like you know, no. I think they're they all run together. together. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I have to. When I was covering a BYU football game, there was a local um, reporter who will remain nameless, and we were down by uh, right on the sideline, literally right, right, right next to the. Was play. it Spencer Linton? No, it wasn't Spencer or Jerem. No, okay. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't tell <laughs> if it that was. Would have been great. But anyway, so the play was coming right towards us, and this big, huge running back was oh, coming no. right towards us, and so you could tell we <laughs> we should get out of the way. Yeah. And this guy was right in front of me, but he just had this high pitched squeeze wheel and ran behind me and i'm looking at him going really what, the heck? what is that i feel bad for your wife what are you doing oh, my so yeah heavens. he had me protect him which was quite frightening sure. like there was well know, they wouldn't mess with do. you well yeah uh, there's not much you can do when you know you've got a 275 pound linebacker running coming after this running back you know and yeah. coming straight at us yeah not good but you know what there's that moment you lose your man card <laughs> He when totally you just squeal like a little piglet. <laughs> it was. It was hilarious for a minute. I looked and went, are you kidding me? So I hold it over him every time I see him, which I, is good. I, was he at your original place of work? No. He's actually a newspaper writer. So, okay. yeah, we've just become friends over the years. Off so air. It I was w- hilarious. I, off air, I want you to tell me. Very wimpy. That could be Very super wimpy. Fun. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, we're not doing a running of the bulls. That's crazy. No. Thanks, But though. we've got to figure out, though. Let's find a gore and somehow just if rupture we, your plantar. The plantar gore. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? That's a great thought. You're thinking of orthotics yeah, and I'm all spending these stem all this cell money. injections. Uh-huh. Let's just gore it. Uh, you know, as tempting as that is. <laughs> if you better I, not tell your wife. You she need may, a controlled gore. Like it's that. just so hard to get a controlled, a controlled plantar gore. Yeah. gore. would have to do it when you're not looking. Because with my luck, know. he'd like cut my Achilles. <laughs> and then I'd be like Then that would be real messed. bad. Double whammy. That you would think the plantar is bad. Wait till you lose I'll your Achilles. I'll take a plantar over a, a, a rupture of Achilles oh, any day. Oh, that is so horrible. I hate bringing it up all the time, but, you know, it's my only injury. But those that have had it out there are going, I feel for you. They totally know. But let's also make it very clear. It's usually – it's an injury that only athletes get. So that's why you're wondering Athletes how you and it. about 75-year-old men. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'm on the athletic side. Yeah. I'm dying to get it back. Once I get my foot back, I will do the running of the bulls. The running of the Chicago Bulls, which is a lot easier to do. They won't gore you as much. Hey, uh, we've got a great subject coming up, topic we're going to be covering. Do smartphones give a head start in life? If you raise your children, you know, we used to raise them on books and Sesame Street. Now, if we raise our kids on smartphones, will they have an advantage? We've got a wonderful guest coming up. Baroness Susan Greenfield will be joining us. She is a British scientist, a writer, and a member of the House of Lords. And uh, that's how big this show is, folks. We're bringing them in from the House of Lords. She's going to be uh, talking to us about some research and, and about the latest information on what impact your smartphones might be having on you and your children. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we live in a constantly changing world, don't we? And with technology uh, just on the rise, we're adapting. We're trying to do the best we can. A lot of us are kind of the early adopters. We're, we're all over the smartphones. But it seems like our children may be even more uh, advanced in picking up this technology. 
Apparently, uh, one of the stats we found is that 14% of children are spending at least one hour a day on mobile media. And even babies as young as six months old have used some some sort of smartphone device, uh, if that doesn't blow your mind. The question is, does this advancement in technology and the use of smartphones, is it really giving us a head start in life? Well, we've got a wonderful uh, guest joining us now, Baroness Susan Greenfield. Uh, has written an article on this um, in Psychology Today, Do Smartphones Give a Head Start in Life? She is a British scientist, a writer, a broadcaster, and a member of the House of Lords. She joins us now for just a few minutes to discuss the impact smartphones are having. Uh, Baroness Susan Greenfield, thanks for being here. Hi, Matt. Call me Susan, please. You bet, Susan. Great to have you. Mm-hmm. Do you um, what's, your, what's your take on this? Overall, smartphones, are they giving us a head start, or are they just kind of, you know, distracting our kids? Okay, well, it depends what you would regard as a head start. You know, for many, the fact that the child is concentrating or seems to be, that they're not uh, being disruptive, that they seem to be engaged, that they seem to be employing through motor skills, um, all those things some people would see as a head start, and they would see that as great. Uh, But I think we need to ask ourselves, um, uh, what? the child would not be doing if they were doing that and therefore that for every hour spent in that um, what they are actually sacrificing and there's um, the thought that perhaps they're not outside as much as they should be they're not um, engaging all five senses as much as they should be they're not um, establishing relationships as much as they should be learning about eye contact and body language and so on all of which are really important skills. Um, My other concern as well with um, too much use of technology is that when you're very small, one of the most wonderful things that can happen is your mum or dad reads you a story and you're therefore using your imagination Mm. in a way that I still find amazing as a neuroscientist. You know, a book can can take you somewhere else and there's these shadowy characters and, you know, they're very real even though you can't actually have a photographic presentation of them. And I think that... um, if you have a life or a world that's dominated by someone else's imagination, by very literal images all the time, it might be that you're going to be missing out. Um, so I think there's a whole raft of issues here that we need to think very carefully about. And, um, you know, someone once said, for every complex situation, there's always a simple answer, mm-hmm. and it's always wrong. That's, right. <laughs> that's great. What we need to do is, yeah, we need to work out first, what do we want? You know, if you have yeah. kids, what kind of skills and talents do you want? What will be the ideal lifestyle that you would like for them? Um, And my own view is that um, imagination and being outside and learning that actions have consequences are all very important aspects to growing up. Well, and you you make a great point, and I'm sure just as you study uh, the brain and how it develops, I mean, kids need to develop, you know, through stages and through different levels. And I wonder if sometimes we're not only just robbing the development opportunity, I wonder if sometimes we're actually – we're we're giving things that we're we're putting our children in situations or you know experiences that mm-hmm. developmentally they're not even capable of having sure sure well there's certainly a, a much greater risk with the cyber world and i'm sure this is the same in the us as it is in the uk of over sexualization of children of exposing them to issues um and scenarios that really they're not mature enough to understand and with um even Beyond that, I, I'm just worried about um, and allowing them, equipping them to have normal interpersonal skills yeah. so that they can cope with someone who might criticize them, where at the moment, uh, I think that perhaps one has a very fragile sense of identity because you need all this feedback from your 
500 so-called friends on uh-huh. Facebook that are really, really just an audience. And that can undermine your security. There's evidence that there's an increase, um, not just in narcissism, but sadly in low self-esteem, where the fact that people can say things online that they wouldn't say to your face will undermine how you feel. You know, know, how many people would actually look someone in the face and say, I hate you? Yeah, no, right. People would do that, but that that happens routinely online. So I think, you you know, in terms of communication, people turn up the volume and use much coarser language, coarser-grained language, simply because it can't be supplemented with eye contact, body language, voice tone, and all those other really invaluable skills. Yeah, and socially, we don't even know the impact. I mean, what this is all new. We wait, What happens when yeah. the data comes in in 30 years, but we've created a generation of people that don't have these skills? Well, indeed. Um, when you think about it, Facebook's only been around properly since, what, about 2006, 2007? Right, right. What is that? Not, um, yeah, so, nine years. Yeah, so you know, that's only eight years ago, um, and people perhaps who are overly using it or who are over dieting on it are young people born in this century um, which means they're all under 15 so we don't know what would be the repercussions by the time they go to college and get their first jobs and Mm. I think we without sounding alarmist at the same time we owe it to them to think ahead as to are we giving them the best environment and the best skills to cope with the inevitable problems that life throws at you and we all have financial, social, health, um, you know, <laughs> that's right. not a problem. Yeah. Um, and the, what you, the best you could do for someone is to give them the confidence and the strength of character that they can actually cope with those things. And I just worry that when you have your identity constructed externally, when you need constant feedback, um, when you haven't got a sort of inner narrative or an inner world that is yours and yours alone, your private identity, if you don't have those things, you're not going to be in such good shape as people, dare I say, of our mm. um, general, well, I don't know how old you are, but you know, yeah. assuming you were born in the last century, yeah. um, those of us who had a more traditional <laughs> three-dimensional upbringing with all five senses stimulated and where with times when we were just on our own where you could you know, think things through for yourself and, and just look at the wall and you know, work out ideas. Um, now it's constantly, this, this idea of being interfaced consistently and constantly I don't think is necessarily the most wonderful thing that it's cracked up to be. Oh, it's, I think you're right on. What would you suggest as a, as a, a, a researcher and a, a brain scientist, what should we mm-hmm. be doing as parents? I mean, I know you, you've got to go in a minute, but what should we be doing as parents if, if we're, if we're going to keep the smartphones in our world? What are some sure. more additive sure. things we could do? Okay. Okay, well, I think there's three things. And I should say, because I do have to rush, this is a shameless plug for my book. I have written a book called Mind Change, which mm. sets this out no more, okay. um, which is published in the States. Anyway, and I think there's three things, um, all of which are pretty cheap or free. So, you know, there's not an economic issue. Um, the first is to read kids' stories, because if you don't have reading skills, nonetheless, it gives you the opportunity as a very small child to develop imagination and a long attention yeah. span. It's also lovely because you're bonding with your kids, you're holding and cuddling them, you know, and that's surely a nice experience to share. So I think reading to children, um, especially ones that don't have strong reading skills, is a very valuable um, experience that they won't get from other things. You bet. You know, that attention span and imagination. Second thing, and I know this is perhaps harder for busy families, but just very occasionally to try and organize it so that you eat together. And I'm no anthropologist, but uh, we all know that eating together is much more than just chewing food simultaneously right. in the same place. You know, um, the very word companion is a sharing of bread. 
And, you know, since we stalked the planet as a species, we've always sat around a table together and eaten together. And that's a very important part of being human. And I think that if um, eating is reduced to feeding, you know, where you just go to the fridge and grab something and then sit at your keyboard while munching something, you're missing out on a very important human experience. So I think eating together as a family um, or with your friends is a really important thing. You know, not every day. I know that might be hard, but at least, you know, once a week to do right. this and ban all digital devices and sit there and look someone in the eye and share food with them and talk and just have the time across the table to talk. And then I think the third thing is getting outside um, in the fresh air. We all know there's an obesity issue anyway. Mm-hmm. We know that being outside actually uh, can improve creativity skills. Um, and also you learn actions have consequences. So if you climb a tree and fall out, that will be a lesson that you're That's learning. Right. Lesson learned. What, yeah, which you won't. It also will improve your sensory motor coordination, uh, which you won't necessarily improve if you're just um, tapping away um, at a screen. So, I think, you know, going outside a lot, playing games outside, making up cowboys and Indian stories, those sorts of things. You know, very simple games like we used to do, running around, fresh air, mm. um, which is very good for the brain. Yeah, um, eating together and reading stories. Man, I mean, it really, it really, when you think about that, it's your childhood, isn't it, Susan? I yeah, mean, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's what childhood is. It's, that's yeah. what it's supposed to be. It's so simple. And and by the way, yeah, like you said, affordable. It's free. Yeah, free. So oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Well, great, great work on your article, and I would suggest everybody Thank go you. to Psychology Today as well because it's such a great uh, it's such a great article and well well researched. Again, Susan Greenfield, we appreciate you. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll take a break, my friends. And when we come back. We're going to continue this discussion about smartphones and some other tools, some, some more research I'll give you and some data about what's really going on and what the experts in the field suggest we should be doing more, folks, after the break right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, 64% of American adults own a smartphone. Did you know that? As of January 2014, 90% of American adults own a cell phone. 90% of adults own a cell phone. 32% of American adults own an e-reader. 42% of adults own a tablet computer. We are addicted! Uh, By the way, here's some more information. 67% of cell owners find themselves checking their phone for messages, alerts, or calls, even when they don't notice that their phone is ringing or vibrating. So 67% of us, two-thirds of us, just check even if it hasn't vibrated or been ringing. 44% of, let's see, cell owners have slept with their phone next to their bed because they wanted to make sure they didn't miss any calls. Have I missed anything? 29% of cell phone owners describe their cell phones as something they can't imagine living without. It's kind of like a child. If I made you choose between Timmy and your cell phone, which would you choose? Well, Timmy's going to leave me anyway someday, so I'll go with my cell phone. Uh, Anyway, it's pretty crazy statistics, isn't it? And when you think about it, is it really giving us an advantage for our children as they're growing up. Uh, Some of the latest research might say it depends. There are definite advantages to all this technology, right? There's some great research that came out that said that if children are reading 
on smartphones or tablets or, you know, they're reading on their technology or like an e-reader, they actually um, – it's, it's more advantageous for them to read that way. Don't know why. But uh, some of the latest research would just simply say there are some certain advantages – Uh, Also, just the opportunity for them to learn. I honestly believe my children know significantly more than I do or I did at their age because they can just – they Google it. And they sit and they watch some incredible YouTube videos. They know a lot about a lot. However, they're also easily distracted, right? They also – they have a hard time maybe carrying on conversations. They would be devastated if we took their phones away. And we've heard Spencer Linton from BYU Sports Nation talk about how he lost his phone. And it was one of the greatest things in the end that happened to his marriage because they had to talk for a week while they were on a trip. So, you know, we could just lose our devices or we could just learn how to manage our devices. Fifty-nine. A study recently shows that 59% of infants had called someone that they know using mobile technology. 59% 59% of infants. <laughs> That's crazy. But how many times have you handed your phone to your children or your, your young kids, you know, to help them pass time and to help them, you know, deal with, you know, a long commute or when you go shopping? In fact, uh, the most obvious reason that we end up handing our cell phone over is to amuse our kids. Most parents let their infants play with mobile media while running errands, 60% of parents let their kids play with their phones while they're running errands, doing chores around the house, 73%, or to calm the child, 65%, or to put the child to sleep, 29%. Is that not crazy? So are we using our cell phones, our technology, as a way to parent our children, to pacify them? Do you remember when uh, people started putting videos uh, players in their cars and you'd drive by them and you'd see all these kids watching videos? You remember thinking, wow, that, that's fantastic. That would just keep the kids totally quiet. Well, now we do the same thing, but instead of having them in our cars, we can watch videos with our kids anywhere. Their kids just hand them the phone. And again, I don't want to scare anybody. We don't need to – the technology is not the boogeyman. It's not, it's not the great end-all, be-all. It's not, I don't believe, the beginning of the end. It's, it is, though, a magnifier, and we've talked about this on the show before, where – Technology magnifies our weaknesses. So for the average adult, if you have a hard time because you're so caught up in your technology that you are rude to other people and you ignore them while you're on your cell phone, technology is not your problem. Your problem is you're just rude. (laughs) Not to be rude, but your weakness isn't technology. Your weakness is you're rude. You're inconsiderate of others. Or if you notice that technology makes it so that you can't go to sleep and you stay up a lot longer on your technology, your weakness isn't technology. Your weakness is self-discipline. So what technology ends up doing is magnifying what you're already weak at. If you already have a tendency to become a binge watcher, your weakness isn't Netflix. Blame them all you want. Your weakness is you don't have the discipline to not get sucked into that addictive behavior. So in a way, technology can help us. Now, where the whole conversation changes, though, is when you're talking about an infant that developmentally can't show discipline, that developmentally can't show restraint and may not have empathy and self-awareness yet. 
So we can't necessarily expect the same thing from them, yet we're handing them a cell phone. And it's interesting because uh, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, they recommend that that kids should have zero screen time until while they're under the age of two. No screen time up to the age of two. The AAP recommendations are based off of research that shows that there is no benefit from traditional screen time, such as television or DVDs, for infants under two, and there is the potential for harm. So if you've got these young kids, I know they want the phones. I know they do, but I wouldn't be handing them over. Again, I think when they're older, it's fine. But with limits, right, with boundaries, with rules, we've got to lead this technology use. We can't just let it lead us. But if you're handing your phone over to a child um, under the age of two, you've got to know you're not doing it for their best interest. You're doing it because you need a break or whatever. Um, No screen time. So by the way, that would also even say you shouldn't just put your two-year-old or your one-and-a-half-year-old in front of a TV to watch a cartoon. Now, that you might think is extreme. I mean, really, let's just think about it. What does the American Academy of Pediatrics really know? I mean, come on. They're just an association of doctors that have done research. And they don't have a they're not, you know, they don't have a kickback from organizations that are against technology. They're just trying to give you some good parenting advice. So I'd probably suggest – I mean we need to watch out for this with our young kids. There's no reason at all that your young kids need to be on a cell phone. I once had a, a couple come in to see me and they had their baby with them. And the baby was holding the cell phone. It was a baby, like full-on baby. And the baby was holding the cell phone and could care less about you know looking at it or even playing with it. The baby was just sucking on it. And was using it as a pacifier, which if you've heard any of the studies about how dirty your cell phones are, pretty disgusting. But I sat there and I just thought, how symbolic is that, that that cell phone is is the pacifier? And then I could just imagine this little kid growing up and when he's five, the mom just hands him the, the phone and instead of the phone going in the mouth to pacify the child, the phone just – the kid just starts playing games. There are some pretty amazing games you can play as well online um, that I do believe create some opportunity for creativity. So I, would, I wouldn't just – I mean – and your kids can find some of those. Not every game online or not all the games that they're playing are just, I think, time wasters. There's some games that uh, – where they um, – what is it called, Ben? Do you know the game where they build stuff? They build blocks and they build houses and – do you know what I'm talking about? Minecraft? Minecraft. Or? Holy cow. Minecraft is just crazy. It's one of the coolest games ever. And my kids play it like crazy. They're, they've built towns and cities and skyscrapers and you name it. Super creative. Uh, and, you know, it's complex. And there are – we've talked about it on the show. There's a lot of research about the fact that playing some of these games – there are some really cool benefits to playing video games. 38% of infants use mobile devices to play video games. We already, there is research out there that shows that video games do have been proven to improve 
Some forms are aspects of attention and memory, but we're not sure, again, if that relates to infants. Infants should not be on this technology. They shouldn't even be sucking on your phone. (laughs) It's just, it's not in their best interest. Let them get a little bit older. Then a game like Minecraft might make sense. But then other things I'd be pushing on big time is to make sure our children are still learning empathy skills, social skills, problem-solving skills. Some problem-solving skills they might be able to get using technology, and some they can't because they need to interact with human beings. Eventually, you're not marrying your phone, right? Eventually, you're not going to date your phone. You're going to have to deal with the world. So I would probably highly uh, urge parents to have some fasts, I call them, where you just have a technology fast and you just abstain from technology. Maybe on a Sunday afternoon is a great day that we just turn off all anything with a screen and we're just going to go clean. No screen. Try it. Now, your kids will have a revolt, but you know what? Heaven forbid if they pull a board game out. Boy, what well, I mean, that could be crazy. What if they started playing board games? What if what if you talk to your kids for heaven's sakes? But think about it. What part of this uh, problem are you as a parent? I know I, when I'm tired, I pull my phone out before everybody. And I can just sense that I set the tone and then everybody sits down and starts playing on their phones. So if we want to to truly impact our children in a positive way, I'd make sure that we're not using technology to drive a wedge between us and our relationships. Let them have technology, but talk to me. Let them have technology, but get in their head that when I start talking to you or anybody starts talking to you, you put your technology down and you look at me. Eye to eye. Teach them social skills. Teach them problem solving. Make your kids make a phone call. I have a son trying to get into universities right now, and he's, you know, he's doing everything by text and email. And I'm like, dude, make a flipping phone call. Just call. One call. That's all. Interesting, isn't it? Technology. Your friend or your foe? Uh, Well, I'm going to say whatever you need it to be. Let's keep our kids out of it. Let's keep our infants off of technology. I think it's the best recommendation. Let their brain develop, but read to them as we were taught earlier. Read to them. Spend time with them. Be their companion. Hang out with them and get outside with your kids. That's what we learned today from Susan Greenfield. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be uh, talking with Kathy Aiken. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, do you pay your kids any money? Do you pay them money to do the lawn? What do you think? We'll be getting into that up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in the next hour, uh, we're going to be talking about the importance of financial planning and planning for your retirement. But we wanted to talk about your kids and where maybe this whole financial planning model begins. It's with allowance and your children. 
So think about that. Do, do you believe your kids should get an allowance? Or by golly, they're here to just pay for the family and we're all working together. Joining us is Kathy Aiken, who's been uh, doing a little bit of research on this. Now, Kathy, are you've got three kids. Three boys. Were uh-huh. you a big? Uh, you weren't a big allowance person. We weren't. We we tried it early on, and it, you know, it, I think it's just hard to be consistent. You yeah. know, every week, every two weeks, or whatever. It's harder Our on the parents. Our kind of rule of thumb was they had to do their basic chores. It's yeah. Just part. That's how I grew up. You know, you're expected you do to do your, your chores. basic chores, and if they wanted something special, then we would give them extra chores to earn the money for mm-hmm. whatever that is they wanted. Yeah. And so I think hopefully they've grown up knowing that okay, if I want this, I have to work for it. Um, it was interesting because I saw a survey on it. Sixty-five percent said there should be. And 35% said there should not be. And, and the, you know, everybody yeah. has a different opinion. Those that said yes said it gives the kids a taste of the real world. Right. The no said it doesn't teach responsibility but only reliance on the parents, which sometimes I think can really happen, that entitlement yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it, everybody has their own opinions. In fact, I had a friend who would give their kids literally one of those checkbook uh, – Yeah, like registers. You know, registers. Yeah. And so their kids, she would – and I thought, wow, you do that every week. She had six kids. I thought, how do you keep up with that? And I'm not sure if she did, uh-huh. but it kind of gave them an idea of, okay, wait a minute. I've got $50. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is going to cost me ten. I only have forty left, so it kind of gave him an idea of okay, I do have to budget. See, but that becomes you know? that now. Mom and dad are the banker that have yep. they have to now stay on top of that with That's every the child. Hard part. But that probably is the lesson, right? That's the reason we would want to do it exactly to teach them responsibility. They, with they their need money. money. Yeah. You're going to spend money on them anyway, right? But it might be more valuable if. You could just say, you've got your money. Right. Well, I think when you talk about the entitlement society today, that is because they're given the Absolutely. money without any, anything in return, expect, yeah. expectation of return, well, or which we I just, don't agree with at all. Or we go to the store and we just give them whatever they want. Right. Hey, can I have this candy bar? Sure. What if you, you could yeah. say, I mean, I'm not even, I don't worry about giving them an allowance just as part of life, but you're going to do these five things and it right. needs to be done and exactly. I'm going to hold you accountable exactly. for that. And I might even tie it to that. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's certain things you're just going to do in the family that you're not being paid for. Right. Make your bed. Make your that bed. That's for you. Right. Getting right. good grades. I'm not a big, I don't know if I like the idea of paying for grades. I don't, right. I mean, because people, I, I know people do it, but. Um, they have I, to do it for the right reason. Right. right. And eventually, if you're not going to get good grades for yourself, there's a day you're not going to be getting paid for your grade. Exactly. And yeah. so you may as well learn that as soon right. as you can. Well, but we would I do. do. When we would give our kids chores to earn something, I mean, we also would have the accountability. We would have to go check them. Yeah. And if that wasn't done That's correctly, it. okay, go back, try it again. And then, of course, that would drive them crazy. But they knew that they had to do it right. Yeah. Do it right the first but time. But isn't it cool that you could, if your kid had their money, that you could just say, bring your wallet. We're mm-hmm. going to the store. Right. And the minute they say, hey, I want this, say, great. Pull out your wallet. And you know, it's funny. I, I don't know if you've noticed that your kids are all different. My yeah. oldest boy, who makes pretty good money, he spends money. My next two are very frugal because yeah. they know that, okay, I have to pay for it. Yeah, I don't want it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, oh, yeah I'm okay. Good. But if I pay for it, you want it? Sure. Isn't that of course. interesting? Yeah. But, but that, they're very different. And, and then I have a son. We went to Disneyland and uh, he was he's just loves food. So we went to Disneyland and. The second he saw these turkey legs, he had to have one. He was like he's – he's a leg man apparently. <laughs> but he loves turkey legs and he's he had to have them. I think we gave the kids like 20 bucks to buy something, which really isn't much at Disneyland. At Disneyland, that can go quickly. And he's – and the, that day, like day one or something, he brings back a big turkey leg. Which costs? Like, it costs like 15 bucks. <laughs> I can't remember. But it was a lot for a turkey leg. And I'm thinking, wow, okay. 
And he's like, it's big, Dad. I'll just carry it all day. We carried that stupid turkey leg all day long. <laughs> It could have been your family meal. And because he wanted to get every penny's worth, he ate everything off of that turkey leg. (laughs) And then what can you do with the other five, though? Probably not a whole lot, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, my kids learned that when we went to vacation, we would give them a certain amount of money that they could spend throughout the week. And it was interesting to watch when they were young, they spent that really quickly. And they realized, oh, wait a minute. We've got like four or five more days of vacation. I'm all out of money. Yeah. And we wouldn't give them any more. It's like, sorry, you know, that you were told. And so they learned that the older they got is they... They waited till right. maybe day two, three, or four before they thought, okay, that's what I really want. I'm going to spend my money well, on Well, and then what do you do with the kid that is in no way motivated at all about money? That's so, tough. So because we try to use money to motivate our kids to mow the lawn or mm-hmm. whatever, but I have a child too that it doesn't matter. You're not motivating him by money. Right. You can try all you want. You, it but doesn't, what if he says, Dad, I want to go to the movies. Can you give me $10? Do you give it to him? Uh, you know what? He just wouldn't go. He and, doesn't. He didn't well, care. No, but. and then my wife would be like, "Well, you need to go to that movie." And he'd be like, "Well, I don't have money." Well, I know, but you need to go. And he's like, "I'm good, not going." <laughs> and she's like, "Well, I'll just pay for you." So <laughs> the weird thing, the, house. the weird thing about it is, you at some point have to understand your kid and figure out what truly motivates what exactly. them. And then, but no matter what the principle is, we want to teach responsibility. We right. want to teach accountability. We want to teach that that they're uh, they're kind of an owner in their life, mm-hmm. that they're empowered, they're a steward, mm-hmm. they have money. We always teach our kids that if we give you 10 bucks, you're going to pay some of it in tithing for the church. Right. And you, you're going to – you're gonna because you got that money through the blessings mm-hmm. of God or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a lot. But then I think about it too and then parents are overwhelmed because I've got to teach six kids that are all different. Oh. Yeah. All of these principles in different ways. Right. So instead, we just fall into a routine called allowance. Mm-hmm. And we think allowance automatically teaches that when it doesn't. Yeah. I think for some, it does work. I think Absolutely. it does. They are able to understand, I'm going to get $20 this week for everything I do. Yeah. And so, and next week, I'm going here and here and here, and I have to pay for it myself. Uh-huh. My father, it was funny, would always say, Dad, do you, have, do you have some money so I can go, whatever? He'd reach into his pockets every single time, and he'd have like a dime and a nickel and a few pennies, you know, just joking. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah here's, how, here's all I have. But it taught me a valuable lesson. It's like, don't come to me. Yeah. You know? Figure it yeah, out. Yeah, figure it out on your own. And we had to. We yeah. really had to work for our own money, and it's very different today. I mean, I look at the kids today, and their expectations are far different than my, oh. my parents were of, of us. Oh, yeah. Very, very differently. And I, I almost wish we could go back to those days because that entitlement mentality is really hurting uh-huh. the kids today. It really is. Oh, it really they is. They get out of high school and think, well, wait a minute. You're not paying for my college education? What? Yeah. No, what? Dad, when are we going on a cruise? Exactly. I'm like, What? Yeah. Well, as soon as you want to pay for it, that's the perfect dad answer. <laughs> I don't know. You got the money? You got the money. I, we go out to dinner, and I always look at my kids, and I'm like, should I get this one, or do you guys want to get this one? Yeah. And they look at me like, you get it. You I know, better yeah, get I always it, know dad. you're going to get it, right? But yeah. it's, I guess that's the key to this is be, ind- be individual enough that you understand what their needs are. Mm-hmm. Come up with unique solutions for each kid. And don't ever assume that the principle is being taught just because you're implementing something. Right. Ma- I mean, make sure – I always say make sure the water is getting to the end of the row. Mm-hmm. Make sure that if we're going to do allowance, right. that responsibility is being learned. Right. And that accountability is being re- I learned. I The great moment is when you don't pay them. They're expecting the money. They do a half-baked job on their uh, their chores. Mm-hmm. And you say no? Yeah, you're not getting it. Here Sorry. was the here was the expectation. I remember um, when my kids were in, uh, going into high school, and they asked me to drive them to a friend's house yeah. before they had their license. And we literally drove into this neighborhood of multi million dollar homes. And I look at my son and I said, 
wow, I hope you're not. Don't compare. Don't, don't compare. Don't compare. Don't and that's compare. hard. No, my kids Because my oldest boy had friends, all of them. Oh, yeah. Literally, their parents would give them a credit card and unlimited money. Oh, and I said, wow, okay, don't expect that's not <laughs> happening here. That's not how mom and dad yeah. live, folks. Sorry, wrong neighborhood. Yeah. Good job, though. Good, good parenting advice. Kathy Aiken's her name. Headlines of the game. We're going to take a break, come back, do the news, do the headlines. More stuff next hour on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Coach Matt here, your guide on the side. We're doing what we can to, uh, today, help you retire. Wouldn't that be a great idea? To be able to just retire. Eh, someday. Someday that'll happen. Hey, um, happy, by the way, Scud Day. Scud Day stands for Savor the Comic Unplug the Drama Day. It encourages those of us whose lives might have a touch too much drama to step back and relax and enjoy the funnier side of life. So, happy Scud Day. <laughs> are, are you big into the drama? Are you a drama? Are you a drama king? A drama queen? Well, then savor the comic. Unplug the drama day. It's a great celebration. Uh, I'd probably get on Netflix, right? Go go get on YouTube and find some funny videos of people taking a really good fall. That ought to just lighten the load. <laughs> oh, humans are pathetic, aren't we? We love watching people fall, uh, and um, we're gonna be we're gonna be celebrating Scud Day all hour. Don't know what we'll do, but it'll be for sure. It'll be something that won't create drama. Uh, we're also going to be talking with Jim O'Donnell, who um, is going to be sharing some of his insights about retirement. He has actually written the book called The Shortest Book Ever on Saving for Retirement. That's great. That's a book I would read. The Shortest Book Ever for Saving uh, for Retirement. And if you think about it, you have a lot of opportunities to save, and many, many of us aren't even trying. We're not trying. According to the American Benefits Council, nearly 80% of full-time workers have access to employer-sponsored retirement plans, 80% of us. But in spite of these offerings, 31% of non-retired respondents uh, say that they actually have no retirement savings or pensions at all. So 80% have access, but 31% don't even have retirement. So what they do is they either don't participate in the plans or they do participate and then they actually borrow against their plans and use the money. So we're going to talk retirement. And I'm not trying to start a revolution. I don't want a lot of you to quit and go retire now. But man, wouldn't it be nice if you could? <laughs> Retirement's going to sneak up on us, folks. So we'll be getting to that topic. But before we do, we're going to go to Kathy Aiken, who, by the way, independently wealthy, could retire anytime she wants. She's here with the headlines. And I just figure I'll wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and come That's work for exactly you. exactly so, right. Yeah, why am I doing that? Oh, my. The gun used by an illegal immigrant killing a woman on a San Francisco pier last week was reportedly stolen from a federal agent. Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez allegedly stole the pistol during a car burglary. He was charged with murder yesterday. 
He says he found the gun wrapped inside a T-shirt on the pier and it went off accidentally. The man has been deported five times back to Mexico and had seven previous felony arrests. A Detroit cancer doctor was in court yesterday facing some of his alleged victims during his sentencing hearing. Dr. Farid Fata is accused of telling over 500 patients they had cancer when they did not. He char- he's charged with giving fraudulent and aggressive medical treatments and billing Medicare for $34 million. One drug that's typically, typically given eight times for aggressive lymphoma was prescribed to one patient 94 times. Many of his patients testified yesterday how their lives have been ruined, including Monica a flag. I'm very angry. I cannot believe any doctor would, would betray so many people. A former colleague blew the whistle on the doctor. Prosecutors are asking for a life sentence. A federal judge in Northern Virginia today upheld last year's cancellation of the Washington Redskins trademark registration. For more than 20 years, the Redskins have been fighting to keep the trademark, a name that's faced strong opposition by Native Americans. The team is expected to appeal this morning's ruling. Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon said the Ten Commandments statue will remain on Capitol grounds. This despite a ruling by the state Supreme Court last week that it it says it violates the state's constitution and should be removed. Fallon said her decision came after the state's Attorney General Scott Pruitt asked the court to reconsider its decision. Dylan Roof, the man charged with the mass shooting last month in Charleston, South Carolina, has been indicted by a grand jury on nine murder charges, three attempted murder charges, and one count of possessing a weapon during a violent crime. The county prosecutor is still deciding whether or not to seek the death penalty in the case. The South Carolina Senate made it official yesterday, voting 36 to 3 to remove the Confederate flag from the Capitol. The bill now moves to the state house, where it needs a two-thirds majority before Governor Nikki Haley can sign it into law. And Matt, we now have the all-important list of cities that get the least sleep. Oh, goody! Now I know you think it's at your home, yes, in your city, Draper. but can you guess the top city? the least sleep. Uh, I know I w- what you're going to guess, but it's not going to be right. Go uh, ahead. I would say Vegas. Oh, no, I wouldn't have guessed that. Viva I would have guessed New York. Oh, yeah. The San New York- Francisco. Really? San Francisco, according to Bing, huh. they get the least sleep an average of 6.5 hours a night. The most? Uh, the most sleep would probably be the sleepy town of Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> Boston. Really? Yeah, people there get eight hours of sleep, which just, it just happens to coincide with the fact that Bostonians are among the healthiest large metropolitan area. Wow. Denver, Colorado wakes up the earliest. Wow. Much later well, than you and I the, do. Yeah, they're so much closer to the sun. <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia goes to bed the latest, hmm. 12.32 a.m. But they must sleep in then because they apparently yeah. get some well, good sleep. So our average nightly sleep has dropped from 7.9 hours in 1942 to 6.8 today. Hmm. You could probably guess the age group with the least amount of sleep. Least amount of sleep would be teenagers. 25 to 34. Oh, really? Just just, just next to that. Six okay. hours, 39 minutes. Wow. Of course, a lot of us, the internet and yeah. staying up. By gender, women unplug from the internet 40 minutes before men and check back 30 minutes after men in the morning. So men are more... Yeah, they're more connected like you were talking about. That's sad. Yeah. That's pathetic. The study says Americans 65 and over yeah. sleep 39 minutes longer than any other age group. Don't you know, why do people like... Why is that... Why do they study something like that? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird. It's, it's totally weird. <laughs> but that's... It's very important. That's interesting. So, because we've had sleep experts on the show and you need like seven to eight hours. Right. 
And, and it's just not happening it's in not my happening. life. No. Nope. Well, that like you say, the smartphones. I mean, oh my goodness, they're just oh. so connected. That distraction, they can't go to sleep. So you know, getting less sleep. And then when I leave here, I go to uh, my other office where I work with clients. And interestingly, I used to want to. I used to try to sleep on my way there. <laughs> Hopefully, you have a driver. No, I don't. It's an amazing thing. You have one of those new cars that drive itself. Oh, see, that's what I need. Yeah, that's what you need. I need to yeah. talk to your son. Okay. <laughs> uh, because that's – the problem is though now we have all this construction on the drive home. Oh, I know. Which means you have to be awake. That point of the mountain. It's a scary thing, but I've, I've almost fallen asleep. I'm not telling anybody that, but I almost did. Well, that's – part of the study they were saying that's one of the reasons there's so many – Drowsy yeah. drivers and accidents is because of the lack of sleep. So just turn off the phone. Turn off the internet. Well, you know what? I did. I just thought that I'm just going to not have my phone. I'm not going to take it to my bedroom. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because absolutely. if you just leave it out there, but then everyone's like, well, I need it for my alarm clock, but I actually have an alarm clock. Yeah. I use my phone for my alarm clock as well. But yeah. I, but the, I try to stay off it. I have to turn it off. You have it on your wrist. You have yeah, I don't, technology yeah. on your wrist. I know. But my phone, I just I turn it off so I don't hear, you know, any phone calls or any yeah. texts or anything like that, but the alarm still goes off, so that's that's why I use that. But I definitely turn uh, it off. Yeah. yeah. It's sad. It, it, it is. Just, I think we're just why do we have to do have that with us continually? I mean, we're thinking we're missing out on something, I think, yeah, right? I think something it is. Very well, important. and we're addicted, right? So right. it's we're just strung out. We're like a bunch of strung crack addicts. And, and we're sleepy. Yeah. Driving, driving. I, I have gone to bed at nine and turned on my phone. Actually, I went to my bed at nine, turned on my phone, fell asleep at 1230. No way. Yeah. Do you know how mad I was at myself? Like, wow. why? Dude, come on. Half hours. That's a big chunk. Well, but part of it is because I'm researching and reading. Yeah. And then there's the gaming. Uh, I, you know, that I was, I was deer hunting on Deer Hunter 2014. <laughs> I was doing a lot of things. Oh, I'm not, not just wasting time. That's important time. I Shooting mean, deer on your phone is very important. Well, you know, yeah. I like to, I like to kill deer without killing them. <laughs> it's a bloodless. You just have to say you're a hunter when you're really not. Yeah. Yeah. And and that and you know I used to bring in my crops on uh, whatever that game was called. It's the biggest waste of time. Um, there's it's just it is. And now it's, I've been in, I've really been into Word Bubbles. Have you really? ever played Word Bubbles? No. Oh, it's fantastic. No, I don't dare get into those games. I love it when I'm there and some and all of a sudden it comes up and so and so wants to play Candy Crush or whatever. I was like, really? Yeah. I always Thank think goodness, loser. No. Yeah, me too. Candy like, Crush what are you is doing so with your time? old school. <laughs> Try word bubbles. It was funny. I said to my son once, what does that mean? She wants me to play Candy Crush. I literally, I just, no time for stuff like that. I always thought, oh man, that's weird. This person has a crush. (laughs) A Candy Crush. But that's the problem. Then you get addicted. So that's maybe the deal is just only take all the fun stuff off off your phone. Just get it off. And just leave the boring stuff. But my my passion is the news. So I'm reading. It never ends. Could you imagine though when we were back in high school and none of this and- how life was oh. so much simpler. Do you remember oh. when all you could do in high school was like go pick your acne? Well, I didn't have acne, so that's oh. gross. Oh. <laughs> that's awkward. That's gross. <laughs> that's totally awkward. No, but that's all a high schooler would do is go in the bathroom and pick their face. I don't know what they would do, but they weren't on their phone. No. I remember my sister and I, we got a phone. I can't remember what it was, but we took it in our car to pretend like we had a phone back then. That was when those big bricks were out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the brick? Yeah. Just pretending. Nobody could. You couldn't afford the brick back then. No, no. You had to be really rich or really strong. 
yeah, to lift a brick. You got a good workout, good bicep workout with that <laughs> thing, right? So sad, but true. Well done, Kathy Aikens, her name. You got it. You know, she's the real deal. She's she not only brings the news, but she didn't even have acne growing up, and that's so cool. And I mean, no offense if anybody had acne, but that's just what I remember doing in high school. Anyway, hey, we've got a great uh, topic coming up. Jim O'Donnell's going to be joining us. Are you saving for retirement? Well, buckle in, folks, because we've got an expert coming to walk us through just some basic things we should be doing to make sure we have a retirement plan and uh, some hope, maybe, of an exit strategy from work. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So again, uh, about a third of the population in the United States has retirement or, or savings. They have a savings. Do you? Do you have money in savings? And how long would it last you? And are you prepared? Are you getting ready for retirement? Are you setting your life up in a way that you can retire um, we're going to be talking right now with Jim O'Donnell, and Jim O'Donnell is uh, he is a professor um, at the at Huntington University, a business professor of ec- and an economics professor. He has a bachelor's degree from Brown University. His MBA is from Columbia University, and he's um, the author of the book, the shortest book ever on saving uh, for retirement which is such a great title, and it's a book I would read because it's the shortest ever. We welcome James O'Donnell to the show. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hi there. How are you, Matt? Good. Doing well. Talk about this because we all know, we all know we need to be saving, and we know we eventually want to retire, but why aren't we? What's the deal? Well, a couple of things. We're human, and we live in a fallen world. How's that for That's a great start, yeah. Huh? I mean, you know, we are full of good intentions, but then some desire to go out for dinner on Tuesday night and, wait a second, maybe Tuesday and Friday night. Oh, <laughs> maybe we could order in another night. I mean, yeah. it, it, the, the list is endless, and the resources are not. That's and, so true. In, in, a, in a certain sense, Matt, if you're following the news, all of us are a little like Greece. Yeah, no, we talked about Greece today on the show, and and we yeah. are, aren't we? We 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 kind of live today and we have to pay tomorrow that's right that's right and and you know the sadness of greece of course is that in a perfect world all they're going through would be avoidable mm-hmm. but you know they don't even have the lord in many cases to kind of uh guide them yeah. in in sort of what might be a virtuous life i mean it, it truly is and 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 we live in a in a culture which drowns us drowns us in the messages, let's say, such as, it's all about me, and i got to have it now. Yeah. I mean, so there's a whole lot of pressure that people are feeling to, you know, live life now. We don't have a long-term perspective. Yeah. And, and uh, is that, I mean, I guess, too, I mean, we, we had a really bad economy, so a lot of people would blame it on that. They may have been getting ahead 
a few years ago. Then when the economy turned, they kind of lost it. Some of their 401ks went out of whack. But yeah. but in the end, too, um, this really is this, – this kind of becomes about discipline, doesn't it? It becomes about having a goal and a plan and the ability to kind of say no to some things. Well, it does. I, I really wish, you know – it could be easier. I really do. I wish there were some magic pill or, you know, a, a piece of broccoli or something you could eat, and it would all be fine, but it isn't. And it's, 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 a, it's a long discipline towards a worthy goal. Uh, and it, it's, and in another sense, Matt, it's sort of choosing adulthood versus adolescence um you know we adults used to be able to defer pleasure and fewer of us even understand the wisdom of why do that you know it's so good today and let me let me throw this out i mean this this i'm not trying to just give you a brain dump or a stream of consciousness but i think i think social media has done horrible damage to our psyches and our discipline, maybe as well as our communication with others. But specifically, I'm saying that it's a medium that sort of coaches us in addiction, and it leads us to believe in a kind of narcissistic view that it's all about me, and it's all about now, and I can get what I want now, right now, as long as I want, and then I can turn it off. Yeah. And, and again, the future, the sa- saving for your future is, is antithetical to that kind of stuff. Wouldn't that be fascinating if on Facebook they added a component to the site that said uh, something like, I have enough money to retire when I'm 50. Yeah. And if all of a sudden we were tracking your ability to retire, then everybody would like j- jump onto the oh yeah i want to lower my i, I want to lower my age of retirement too it's almost cuz it, it's there's that almost addictive need to compete to compare and to keep up it with is. the joneses but well and the joneses unfortunately today are often celebrities who we will never meet mm-hmm. but who somehow we feel closer to than our own family sometimes right. i mean i i'm i'm not into that stuff very much i'm an old geezer I spent much of my money and much of my life managing money for people before I became a professor and, and did this stuff because I, I wanted to help people, and I hope I have. Yeah. But um, I, 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 it, it's, a, it's a different world sometimes talking to students or even people who tell me what they have to have, and they greatly confuse what, what are your needs with what you want, with what would be nice, with what you have to have, hmm. um, it, it's it's a mess. Do we and, do we just expect? Uh, what, I mean, what do we expect is going to happen? It, it, you know, I think a lot of us are expecting Social Security to be there, and I, it just seems pretty obvious it won't be for many. And um, so, I guess we're just expecting a bailout. Well, I mean, again, as I said earlier, I think we're all a little like Greece. I mean, this is the idea that Greece could run out of money year after year after year, overspending, and then feel that Europe will pick up the tab for them. Mm. Because, hey, we belong to Europe, don't we? And, and I mean, the insanity of, of Sunday's vote and the celebration over it because the head of 
Greece thought he could go back to the Germans, let's say, and say, I'll have a better case if the people vote against austerity. What, what, are, you, what are you smoking to, yeah. to think that? You know, if your neighbor runs out of money repeatedly, repeatedly, and you have been as a Christian giving them some kind of help and support, and now they go really broke, and now they come to you and say, now I really need more money, you know, what planet are you living on <laughs> to, to imagine that? If the Greeks have a democratic right to vote against uh, the Germans, don't the Germans have a democratic vote right to vote against you know, them? To, to not support that. Sorry to get on to that. No, but that but it really it's is such a parallel. Yeah. In a macroeconomic, that means a lot of people. To our microeconomic, that's you know just, just you. Me. Yeah. No, I think I think it's really interesting insight when we when we kind of take it between both because the principles seem to be the same. We need to be more responsible. We need to kind of have a vision and a plan. We need some discipline. We need some accountability. And uh, that's really what I want to get into. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Again, we're talking with Jim O'Donnell um, and uh, about his book that is the shortest book ever on savings, saving for retirement. Shortest book ever on saving for retirement. We're going to come back uh, with Professor O'Donnell. He's going to give us some insights, some things we should be making sure we're doing as we uh, as we are planning and preparing for our own retirement. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back talking money. Welcome back, everybody. To the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, if we could just show you what we do between breaks. Staying young, celebrating uh, today's great holiday. You may not even remember because we we brought it up at the first of the show. Uh, Today is Scud Day. Scud Day. Scud Day stands for Savor the Comic, Unplug the Drama Day. So have fun. Get the comedy out. Get rid of the drama day. Scud Day. Happy Scud Day to you all. We're talking with James O'Donnell uh, about financial planning in a way, more about your retirement. We've got to start uh, being responsible and planning for our own lives. And you don't have to have a ton of money to do it. James is the author of the book, The Shortest Book Ever on Savings for Retirement. And um, he's uh, has an MBA from Columbia University and is a professor. And he's here to teach us what we could start doing today to prepare for retirement. James O'Donnell, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you, Matt, for having me. You bet. What should we be doing? So just what are a few steps that most of us could take today to start creating a retirement plan? Uh, well, if you start with the most basic of basics, Matt, I'd say, you know, families need budgets. And they need not just to have them on QuickBooks or on the family computer, but actually to live them and to stick with them. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that, that's a given. We've got to yeah. understand how much we have to play with and what are we doing. I mean, a good analysis of your checkbook to see where money is going is often a, an exhilarating and sometimes depressing exercise. <laughs> um, you know, while well, I'm... Obviously, I'm deeply interested in people saving for retirement. Um, If they have some high-balance debt 
or just have a lot of debt, it's probably more sensible to try to work down the debt than it is to save for retirement. I wish we could do both, but if I've got to pick one over the other, I'd want somebody to pay down, let's say, uh, 20% credit card debt over save possibly the same amount of money in a in your retirement account where you might get 10% in a good year. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it just it's it's necessary to kind of kill the things that will kill you faster rather than make money on that, which hopefully will tide you over in the future. So if you can take down the debt a little bit or, or take down the debt, then that might be a better plan than just aggregating a savings, right? Well, I mean, if you've got a lot of debt, that has to be addressed uh, first because that, that will eat you. That's a great piranha right. that's gnawing at your bowels you know, <laughs> that, that uh, you, you really have to handle. Uh, if, on the other hand, there's a glove, no, beyond having a glove, another point is if you have a job where your employer has an employee match in your retirement plan, by all means, I hope you would do whatever is minimally necessary to get that free money, if, if you follow what I'm, yeah, what right. I'm saying. I mean, some, some employers may give you 3% of your salary, you know, whatever. But some may say, well, we'll give you 3 if you contribute 3 Okay, then contribute 3 and pay down debt with the rest. And if your debt is not great, then, then do more than that. But I'm, I'm just trying to balance a couple of things that oftentimes are playing out in, in people's uh, minds at the same time. How do I do, you know, how do I walk and chew gum and something? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm saying sometimes you got to do one versus the other first. Well, and that it's might really- be hard, right, at first. So if I haven't been in my company's retirement plan and then I go and I enroll and I'm in the 401k and yeah. I'm having the match, that might impact my income right now. I mean, it, it'll eventually benefit me. It's just it's my cash flow is going to be gone a little bit. But if I can get over that... Right. And adjust, right. But, then all of a sudden you're now accruing finally. Well, well, that's right, Matt. And, and of course, that what you're saying is the perspective of a 24-year-old, which you probably are, Matt. No, know? I'm actually not. That's the sad <laughs> thing about this whole thing, Jim. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. But it's just is that, well, I can always do it tomorrow. Right. You know, and, and it's not merely Jim's opinion or, you know, your urgence, Matt, Matt, that leads me to say that in the investment world, you've got to say time is your friend if you right. have it. And it's not your friend if you don't. So um, it, it's, it's entirely possible for people to save a million dollars by the time they retire if they start early, uh, you know, in their early 20s with modest amounts of money of, let's say, a couple of hundred dollars a paycheck. I mean, it, that, that it, given long-term rates of return on risk assets, particularly on equity stocks, that happens. I mean, there's lots of ups and downs. Yes, yes, along the way. We know that. But that happens. Yeah. But if you're 50 and you're, you've come to, you know, this sort of religious moment, it's much harder. You, you've got to You've got to seed this with a whole lot more money, which is probably very difficult at that point with putting kids through college and a whole lot of other things. Right. So another point I would say, and I mean, this is I've done this with some people. I'm not saying they followed through, 
but I've, I've sat down with some people who really wanted to get a handle on this and said, we've come to the kind of moment where we need to cut up your credit cards. I mean, literally cut these things up hmm. and go through a dramatic ceremony yeah. saying you're not going to do that. If you're going to buy something, you're going to pay cash for it. I mean, that's it. That's it. And, oh, I don't know how to do a budget. Well, budgets can be all kinds of things. Or budgets can be things that in the in the kitchen you keep, you know, a dozen envelopes. And on one it says food and one it mm-hmm. says gas and so forth. And you put, you know, every paycheck, I put, uh-huh, put this in there and put that in there and so forth and so on. It's a discipline. And, again, so much of this is a discipline. Yeah. And it's a discipline, hopefully, that one grows at least accustomed to if not somewhat proud in a very good way, that, Lord, I have accomplished something, one of the adult tasks that, you know, you've laid before me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm saying, you know, debt reduction today is a massively important thing, not just in Greece, but for lots and lots of people who tell me, and I hear this again, oh, it's that economy we're in. Hey, you know, it's never been easy. It really hasn't. I mean, there may be a handful of people in the upper 1% of everybody for whom it seems easy, but even these people probably have, uh, you know, budgets. But for a whole lot of us, a whole lot through history, it's been not even as easy as it is today. It's it's interesting to me, kind of a side thought, Matt, but not, not unworth sharing, that poverty in America, poverty in America has become such a screwy term. Please, I know there are genuinely poor people, right. but there are a whole lot of poor people who tell me they're poor who have two cars, a house, <laughs> cell phones, yeah. cable service, and all of other things. They tell me they're broke. I have no money. Well, and yeah, nothing. still are bringing in $100,000. Holy cow. Yeah, and they're I mean, still poor. Get, you yeah. know, this seems like an alternative universe to me. <laughs> I mean, we we have a way to work through that if you have the will to. Yeah. And people, again, throughout the ages, I mean, think of farmers 200 years ago. What did these people do? They didn't have any money. Literally, they had just crops. You know, well, maybe if I give you a little wheat, you could give me a pail for my milk. You right. know? I mean, it was a whole lot different. Well, I mean, that's, I think, so much more. No, I think, I think that's the key uh, when you think about it, James, because it it does, it's discipline, it's, and it's a plan and it's kind of just, uh, and if you're not born into it and if you don't have a spouse that naturally does it or was raised that way, then you've got to go figure it out together. So I appreciate your insight. I really do. And I wish we had more time to just keep exploring it. But as you're out there in listener land, Take some of that advice that Jim's given us and grow some, uh, grow some discipline by just starting with a basic budget. Pay down your debts first if you can, if you've got them. But then you might have to make some difficult decisions. Even get to the point maybe of cutting up those cards. Interesting, interesting advice. We're going to take a break, my friends. And uh, when we come back, visit our, our guys down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Stick with us. It's just getting exciting. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. There you go. A, a little, uh, what's the name of the song, Ben? Before He Cheats. Before He Cheats. Just a great segue. 
as we go to our our good our good brethren down uh, BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. What in the world, Carrie Underwood? <laughs> you know before why? Before he cheats. Before he cheats. Hey, is Jerem with you? Yeah, Jerem's with me. I thought Jerem would be singing that. No, here's here's why. Don't get mad. <laughs> Just get even. <laughs> here's the, here's why. You guys, happy Scud Day. Scud Day. Scud Day stands for Savor the Comic, Unplug the Drama Day. We're, every, we're unplugging the drama. Less drama, please. And Carrie Underwood, that's a pretty dramatic song. So I broke up with the girl at BYU because she was too dramatic. Did she key your car? Your truck? No. Did she use a Louisville slugger? She was she on your headlights? Crazy. No. Okay, good. Just too much drama, you know? You don't need drama. And fireworks. You know what I mean? Our lives are already dramatic. I mean, come on. You guys, for example, are television stars. You're radio stars. You're, you hang with the athletes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very liberal use of television stars. stars. We mm-hmm. like sports drama. Do you? Yeah. What, like, what's the most dramatic thing that's happened in sports? Oh, Recently? Uh, uh, what's his name losing his title? Evan, uh, Mayweather. 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 Yeah, it went to my boy Timothy Bradley by default. See? That was dramatic. He lost one of his welterweight belts. What do you do? Because he didn't abide by some rule to announce a fight by a certain time. Right. Hey, always follow the rules. You can buy belts at JCPenney. Or, you know where I buy them? Kohl's. And he has, like, yeah. Cause, he has uh, lots know, of money to buy it with. Well, speaking of money, Kohl's has Kohl's cash, which is like free money. I love Kohl's cash. I do too. It's like the stock market. Kohl's, uh, what is Kohl's cash? Teach me. It's, you, buy, you spend money and then they just give you free money to come back and like free buy more stuff. Like you buy a so million dollars. It's like this. You buy, you buy $100,000 worth of stuff. <laughs> And they, they give you, you $80,000 well, worth buying, of Kohl's cash. Are you buying an entire Kohl's? <laughs> are you kidding me? Are you owning a Kohl's? <laughs> I've got and a big a family. Caesar's? I've got a really big family. If you spend like 100 bucks, they'll give you like $20. It's just it's free money. But it's free That's money. Nice. Yeah. Plus, so the, it, it, encouraging you to come back. Plus, yeah, the, but the thing is like you don't have to like, you don't have to like, hey, well, if you spend 40, we'll give you like, we'll no. get just 20 bucks off. No, it's just like. You just here's twenty bucks. Here's twenty bucks. Oh, come, straight cash to, to come to come and yeah, use it's kind of like a drug deal, like a straight twenty. Cash. It's a coupon, but it's like here's twenty uh, bucks to come and spend in our store. But they Never also mind. let you play the lotto. So when you get up to the counter, they'll like give you a little scratch off thing, and you can scratch it off, and you might get thirty percent on top of that. Hmm. This segment brought to you by Coles. <laughs> yeah, why are we giving Coles so much love right now? What's uh, going on? I have no idea. But here, are check they sponsoring this out. The Matt yeah, show? they're the new sponsor of the Matt Townsend Show. Coles Cash, presented <laughs> by Coles. <laughs> That's so sad because there nobody sponsors me. Um, here's the deal. Um, driver, uh, find. I want you guys to hear this because I worry. I've seen you drive, and uh, one Spanish driver was shocked recently. When he was fined and he was pulled over for biting his fingernails. He was biting his fingernails hmm. and he got ticketed a $90 fine. And the police report cites the reason for the fine as being that the driver was not maintaining the required freedom of movement. Wow. And his cuticles were being harmed by his constant nail biting. The law that's cares about your cuticles? I mean, that's a ticketable offense. Yeah, absolutely. Is this in the United States of America? Uh, I, it was I, I don't know. It said a Spanish driver. When did we reinstitute the law of Moses? It was in driving. Spain. <laughs> Are you bringing up biblical law now? Animal sacrifice is super weird it's on the freeway. Like... By the way, a, another person another person got ticketed for chewing gum while at the wheel. No way. Yes, way. That's Spain. I agree with that one. So be grateful. Just That's you were just... chewing your gum and it was annoying me. Hey! 
Here's a $90 ticket. Your well, music stunk. Ticket. We're trying to celebrate, uh, you know, to, to go hopefully a little drama-free today. We're, we, you should be grateful Our you don't live in Spain. Our every where day is to take away drama from people's lives and just you let, do the that, comedi- though. let the comedic fashion and the, the sports take over. Yes. We create sports drama of sorts, you, I guess. You know what? Your show is, like, your show is like an elixir that um, makes you just forget everything for one hour. <laughs> Sorry, what? I don't know. We listen. You need to come into the show lucid, okay? <laughs> That's true. That's a, we this, can't control what you do at home. This is yeah. This is a. This is uh, you guys. Honestly, you're the real deal. I don't we care what they that. say. And I've got a video someday that I want to show you, but I can't mention it over the air. But mm. I'm going to show you because I care about you. Okay. And it's gonna it's gonna bring so much comedic relief that all your drama, whatever drama you could have in your perfect lives. Would just dissipate. Well, fair enough. Okay. Let's okay. do this uh, later today while, I, I uh, while you'd... you're designing air-conditioned <laughs> pants in your office. I wish you'd be a little more vague. <laughs> I, could, I can't be more vague. <laughs> but it's, when I saw it, I thought, these guys are going to love this. Um, We're excited. We're uh, very excited. Now. You guys still doing your thing? You're going to do your show uh, today? or yeah, What's going on? Wait in for it. Check with our producer. Wait for ben, it. Ben, are we still doing the show today? Ben. Yeah. Ben okay. says yes. Ben confirmed. Okay, said yes. We're, we still, we're still still doing the show. Okay, today. good. We prep, to, we prep a show every day. That's great. What yeah. What did you guys prep for today's show? Okay, so Chip Brown is uh, an outspoken guy. He he is in the heart of Big Twelve football. He writes for HornsDigest.com. He he's a guy that makes waves in the media on call, on the scene of college football. Yeah. Okay. So he comes up with this out of the blue scenario but when you look at it it's not so out of the blue and and what it is is he has projected that in nine years college football could become just six divisions not conferences Mm. just geographic divisions that would result in reestablishing regional rivalries ah cool one major tv contract a la the nfl so billions of dollars involved okay and a 16-team college football playoff, and you think, what in the world is this guy? You know, yeah. What's he eating, smoking, whatever? Is he? Eating? Is this legit? He said that after several conversations with notable people, this is becoming more and more likely to happen sometime like in the it. next decade. So you have to wait for the TV contracts to to be up. So yeah, this would be like 2024. So it's out there a little ways, but guess what? It's July 8th, Matt. Uh, yeah, it's Scud Day. It's Scud Day, so we're discussing uh, realignment stuff, of course. Of course. It's always yeah, about it's, realignment. It's interesting. And BYU would be invited in his situation into— uh, One of those six. Yeah, one of the six divisions. Yes, because there are 65 P5 teams, including Notre Dame, but to make it an even 66 so he can have six 11-team divisions, he has invited BYU. Mm. He even said, congratulations, BYU, because I need 66 teams. You're invited. And not Boise State. <laughs> oh, Wow. That's so there you go. Problem. I mean, it's. I like it. That's a cool idea. It's out there. It's way out there. But, but let's pitch uh, it really because cool. it, you know, even if it's ten years out, let's just keep pitching it because you never know. We may need that one. I thought there wouldn't be a college football playoff for a long time, and that was one of the. That was the, those two semifinal games were the most viewed cable TV events of all time. That is, see, that says it all. Huge. Yeah. And when those numbers come in, it's inevitable that that will only expand. So his sixteen-team college football playoff really, I see. 
it's happening cool. at some point in the future. There's a great Onion video related to March Madness along these lines where they say they expand the tournament to 4,056 teams. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, like Dallas That's Roberts great. Academy. The New Jersey truck, the, yeah. truck driving yep. school is yep. involved. All that. It's really funny. The dental school. It's in the video you were Poughkeepsie. teasing us about it, wasn't it? That's awesome. You guys, see, that's, again, that's a great topic. Go in, hammer it, make it happen, and then I'll bring you a video to watch. Fantastic. But really, keep up the good day. And remember, Scud Day. No more Scuds. Be Scudless. Okay. Okay. Take care. Peace out. Have a great show. Remember who you are. (laughs) Return with honor. Uh, Good stuff. Wow. Interesting. That would be really cool. If all of a sudden you're just down to six divisions... Or whatever we're calling them, 11 each. That's pretty neat. And, you know, BYU would get in. But, you know, that's scary because when there's only one spot left, it could go to anybody or the highest bidder. But BYU's got a ton to offer there. Hey, uh, as you know, we like to wrap up the show and we like to give you a hero of the day. A lot of times you don't hear very many heroes. You just hear a lot of the negative news. Today, Townsend's hero of the day is Boiling Springs High School, the entire high school of Boiling Springs, Alabama. After hearing the sad news about their school janitor, this community of students came together to change her life. For the last 20 years, Brenda Hurst has been the head custodian of Boiling Springs High School. She has dedicated all of her time and money to help the students at this school, not only to have a clean facility, but also a brighter future. And about a year ago, an unfortunate incident resulted in Hurst's home being burnt to the ground, leaving her without a place to live. And upon hearing the news, Boiling Springs principal Chuck Gordon said he immediately called the student council together. He said she always was there for the students. She found herself hurting, and it was our turn to give back to her. The student council then banded together, began finding sponsors around the community to help buy Hearst a mobile home to live in. But once uh, Mike Raven, executive director of United Carpenters for Christ, read about Hearst's story, he and Principal Gordon, uh, he went to Principal Gordon and offered to build uh, her a home. I mean, how cool is this? With the help of volunteers from all over the community and Carpenters for Christ, Hurt has now received a new home complete with features she never had before, including a washer and dryer and air conditioning. Hurt has already stated that she will thank the community by making batches and batches of her famous banana pudding. It's a lot of pudding, she says, but I love them like they love me, and I don't mind. How cool is that? A bunch of teenagers get together and raise the money and think, you know, we'll just get her a trailer, a, a, a mobile home, and that'll, you know, that'll get her started. And then everybody else steps in. The power, folks, when we work together to change the world is immense. And when we, you know, when we have to stick it out on our own, and that's the scary thing. You know, we live in a community and a society where together we can we can become something pretty amazing. And yet so many times we end up fighting just for ourselves. And if you fight for yourself too much, you might get to a situation where nobody wants to play ball with you. Nobody wants to help you. Nobody wants to help you uh, become, you know, part of the community and, and heal from your own trials and troubles. So let's make sure we're looking after each other. And again, a major shout out to Boiling Springs High School of Boiling Springs, Alabama. Congratulations on being uh, our hero of the day. It's good to have people to look up to, right? It's good to know that there is good in the world. That's the goal of this show is to help you see the good in the world give you the tools to live longer, to love stronger, and to lead a legacy 
on this great earth. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. More great ideas and tools right here, 9 to noon Eastern time on the Matt Townsend Show. Until then, take care and make it a good one.